Hello, everyone. My name is Sam. I'm an English professor sitting over there who just made the ugliest face ever made from someone drinking alcohol is Katie, who is a full-time cinephile uh, and loves to talk about movies in any way, shape, or form. And we are here to bring you Real Lit, the podcast where uh, me and Katie, as the aforementioned characters, discuss with you some pieces of classic and important literature and uh, some B movies or movies that have been overlooked in their uh, quality or uniqueness or otherwise uh, noteworthy qualities uh, while we are drunk and yeah. uh, consuming alcohol. So that crazy face was welcome, welcome. My drink was not mixed up well, and I took a drink and it was just <laughs> straight vodka from the bottom of my cup. <laughs> <laughs> One might say the fact that you just use vodka just in and of itself, just uh, justifies every face that you make. Oh, but it's so good. I can't drink. I cannot think or drink any sort of vodka, even the good kind, without thinking of my first year of college. So. Yeah, of a time when it did you wrong. <laughs> and not yeah. in yeah, and and not in a <laughs> in a nostalgic way. In a, a I never want to experience those feelings ever again kind of way. Do I remember the events? No. Do I remember how it felt in my throat? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I am drinking today, by the way, since I uh, started doing that. I'm drinking the coveted Dr. Pepper Zero and whiskey in my ever, ever, never ending bottomless bottle handle of fucking whiskey in the pantry that is still the same one that we used like almost two months ago now. <laughs> it's still in there and I'm still drinking and from it. And it's still just as it never ends. It's just as full. It's mm -hmm. magically <laughs> refilling itself. It just doesn't make any sense. It's so huge. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I don't know how it's not gone. Yeah, I but feel that way about and like I buy all my alcohol from Costco because one, it's really good alcohol, and two, it's really fucking cheap. Um, but I feel that right. way about most the amount that you get. I feel that way about most alcohol from Costco because the bottles are so big. It's like, if you're the only one drinking <laughs> from it, it will take you like a fucking year to finish a handle. But if you, it's magic. If you have a party, it's fucking magically gone. Like you have like five people over and five people right. can destroy a bottle in like minutes, but one person all by themselves is just like, nope, this oh. took literally a year to finish. Even though I put You've a lot of alcohol in all of my drinks. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the it's like the Christmas candle or whatever the the Christmas candle. Look at me being awful to the poor Jewish people listening. The uh, menorah, the long burning thing. It's like it just keeps happening. If you have it by your, in your house and you don't throw parties, it's like all right, we got to bring out the never never emptying well of the <laughs> alcohol that we drink from every year for the past three centuries or whatever. When I was in college, again, not my first year this time, but um, we went to, <laughs> oh, this is gonna get me in trouble. Uh, I, we went to uh, a corner store opening next to our college uh, because it was like a grand opening and it was like right there. So it was cool and it like, you know, had, 
it was nice to have a shop that was like right next to the campus. And so everyone was like excited for it. And we went during the day. So they were having like this, cause they were having like this raffle. So we were like, oh, cool. Like, let's go. And we were doing nothing that day. And it just so happened that one of the guys that worked there was like this guy that was in one of my classes that was the most stalker-esque that you could imagine and was the uberest of like obvious about his like being into me like I don't notice that type of stuff and I was noticing like oh you're you're coming on strong bud yeah and he so we walked in and I was like oh no because I it was a small little corner store so I walked in and we immediately saw each other and I was like kill me and he was like hi ladies and was just like oh so excited like to see you here you have to hang out all day and we were like actually we can't really hang out a whole lot today but we'll come back to Dubai. <laughs> but so we got the raffle tickets and we came back just if we like, would win anything this massive bottle of wine and I was not 21 at the time I was only 20 <laughs> But my roommate was 21, so she, uh, you know, had the, definitely it was her ticket that got the uh, winning bottle of wine. So when he saw that it was us that had won it, he brought it over himself and was like, oh yeah, we'll have to go and enjoy this uh, sometime with each other at your house or something. And I was just like, oh my God. God, please strike, strike me dead right now. Um, And uh, that, and I mean, when I say huge, I mean, like, not even huge in like Costco standards, huge in like, this is a novelty thing. Like, it was like, it was massive. And when I left, when I left that house, uh, I mean, over a year later, there was still more than half of that wine in that bottle. <laughs> I don't remember what wine it was, except it was red wine. How did you get and the cork it out? Was just like, I don't remember. Probably Corey finagled it somehow. I imagine the cork was like this big, just like. It was, it was massive. And I was like, of course, I, out of all of the prizes that we win, I win the massive alcohol bottle that yeah. I will never finish ever I would dump anyway, that out that had- and keep that bottle forever like it would just be a novelty item in my house see this was when I was in college and I was young so I wasn't the like old lady that I am now that like definitely macrames <laughs> and like all of the other like fun DIY things around the house. Today, if I got that, that's exactly what I do. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have this cool like thing that I can do arts and crafts with. But when I was 20 years old, I was like, I'm never going to drink all of this wine. <laughs> I was just yeah. like, but what am I going to do with this? Wine was too fancy for me. My dumbass. Wine is still too anyway, fancy for me. Anyway, that has nothing me, to do so. with anything. Today, we are covering the fabulous 1865 novel by English author Lewis Carroll, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. 
you may know this uh, as the more commonly shortened title of Alice in Wonderland, but technically the title is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. So this is what happens in Alice in Wonderland. And I'm going to read just briefly um, the things that open Alice in Wonderland because they are both from Lewis Carroll. <laughs> Uh, and then I will just give it, jump into the synopses. So we first start Alice's Adventures in Wonderland with a preface uh, to the 86,000 inquiries have been so often addressed to me as to whether any answer to the Hatter's riddle can be imagined that I may as well put on record here what seems to me to be a fairly appropriate answer. Uh, because it can produce a few notes, though they are very flat, and it is never put with the wrong end in front. This, however, is merely an afterthought. The riddle, as originally invented, had no answer at all. Was so, Lewis Carroll crazy? Put a pin in that. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Because if it's, if it's the same riddle from the movie, which I doubt it because it was Disney in a cartoon, but if it's the same riddle, like, what the fuck? <laughs> dot, 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 no comment. So that is the preface. And then after that, we begin with a poem. All in the golden afternoon, full leisurely we glide, for both our oars with little skill by little arms are plied. While little hands make vain pretense, our wanderings to guide. Ah, cruel three, in such an hour, beneath such dreamy weather, to beg a tale of breath too weak to stir the tiniest feather. Yet what can one poor voice avail against three tongues together? Imperious prima flashes forth, her edict to begin it. In gentler tones, Secunda hopes, there will be nonsense in it. While Tertia interrupts the tale, not more than once a minute. Anon to sudden silence one in fancy they pursue, the dream child moving through a land of wonders wild and new, in friendly chat with bird or beast and half believe it true. And never as the story drained the wells of fancy dry and faintly strove that weary one to put the subject by, the rest next time, it is next time, the happy voices cry. Thus grew the tale of Wonderland, thus slowly one by one, its quaint events were hammered out, and now the tale is done, and home we stare, a merry crew, beneath the setting sun. Alice, a childish story take, and with a gentle hand, lay it where childhood's dreams are twined and memory's mystic band, like pilgrim's withered wreath of flowers plucked in a far-off land. So, thus we begin the story of Alice's adventures in Wonderland. Uh, the first chapter is called Down the Rabbit Hole. So we open with Alice, who is a seven-year-old little girl, and she is hanging out by a riverbank with her elder sister. She's drowsy. It's kind of, you know, a clear, lazy, sort of probably spring or summer day. Um, and she's just hanging out, kind of bored. And because she's bored, she's, you know, looking for anything to kind of pique her interest. And she notices uh, suddenly off uh, walking past her or running past her more uh, that there is a white rabbit 
running past. And this white rabbit happens to have a, a vest on <laughs> and happens to have a pocket watch and happens to be talking, saying, oh, I'm, I'm running terribly late, basically. And she's at first like, oh, that's a cute rabbit. And then is like, that rabbit has a waistcoat on. <laughs> that rabbit just pulled out a pocket watch. That rabbit just spoke words. That's strange. So of course the kid is like, I'm following that fucking rabbit. And she follows it straight down a rabbit hole uh, because she's a child. And that's absolutely what any seven-year-old would do. And she jumps into this rabbit hole and begins falling down. And she's falling a very long, long way down. Um, she is falling down so long that she notices like, this is really strange. I should have like hit some sort of ground by now. And I, I'm also like falling slower than what I should be falling. Like I'm not falling normal speed. This is very strange. And <laughs> so she kind of has a, a pretty long while where she's floating down essentially this rabbit hole and thinking to herself like, I wonder where I'm going. I wonder what's going to happen. This is really weird. You know, just seven-year-old kid shit, basically. Uh, as she falls down the rabbit hole, there are things that she passes, um, like different like cupboards and different shelves and weird, strange things on the sides of the rabbit hole. Um, that she kind of looks at. She eventually falls asleep a little bit at one point, kind of like dozes off, because remember she was drowsy before this. But she does eventually, after a long time, uh, fall to the bottom uh, and she is perfectly fine, because remember she was not falling very fast. When she gets to the bottom, she finds herself in a hallway and she is like looking around and sees where the rabbit is because of course the rabbit probably hit the ground not long before she did. So she sees him kind of scurrying down the hall as she has finally hits the ground. So she follows the rabbit where there are many locked doors around her of kind of all shapes and sizes. And she tries all the doors, but she can't get them to open. And she finds a little key. And so she tries the key with all the doors and she still can't get them to open. But uh, upon second look around the room, she sees that there's a littler door, uh, a smaller door that is kind of hidden behind a curtain. And she's like, ah, well, this key clearly goes to this door. And it does. She opens the door, but of course the door is small. She can see through the door that there's this really beautiful garden in uh. <laughs> past it if she could only get through the door but she can't even though she's seven years old she's too big to fit through this door she uh for reference here she thinks to herself she doesn't even think she would be able to fit her head through the door let alone the rest of her body uh so she's kind of flummoxed by this but uh, when she turns around, she sees that uh, previously when she came in here, there was, there was a little like, glass kind of end table in the middle of the room uh, and it was empty. There wasn't anything, just the table. But now since she's been looking through the door, when she turns around again, there is something on the table now. And sh she sees that it is a bottle. The bottle is labeled drink me. 
Uh, and because she is a smart child, <laughs> she uh, first tr like looks for any more information to make sure it's not labeled poison or something. Uh, and then she is like, all right, well, I'll see what happens. And she drinks the contents of the bottle and the contents make her shrink. So she's like, yay, now I can fit through the door. So she turns and realizes that she had closed the door. And so she needs the key again, but she's left the key on top of the table and she is now too small to be able to reach that key. <laughs> so now she's annoyed again <laughs> and she kind of sits and is annoyed for a minute, but when she kind of looks around, she notices that now next to her, there is this little box with the cake in it and the cake uh, says, eat me on it. There's little um, like raisins, basically dried fruit on the top of the cakes that, that spells out eat me. And she's like, okay, well the bottle made me go small. So this will probably make me either go smaller or get bigger, so whatever. Um, so she eats it. This is the end of the first chapter. So a few things here, just very quickly before we continue. One thing that is immediately kind of apparent when you begin reading the story is that you notice that the way that this story is being written is very um, unique, very clearly significant and purposeful. It's written the the narrator is very present like as a character almost because the narrator often like comments upon things that alice is doing like and kind of explaining for the reader's sake like well alice is a child so this makes perfect sense to alice even though it doesn't make any sense in real life <laughs> to an adult or anything like that um and he's the the narrator is also um there's lots of word play happening very immediately and constantly throughout the entire story and it's not just word play in terms of like the weird things that happen in in wonderland now that alice is here like between the characters it's all the time the word play is happening all the time not just between characters, but in Alice's own head. And something that she, that becomes evident to her, she notices for herself on the fall through the rabbit hole, actually. Uh, she's so bored at one point, she starts trying to recite something to herself to kind of pass the time. And she realizes as she's like reciting an old poem, she can't remember it right. She starts reciting it and she says it perfectly, but it's perfectly wrong. It's not the correct way that the poem goes. It's changed suddenly. And she isn't trying to do that, but that's just how it comes out. So there's this very topsy-turvy-ish kind of feel of wordplay immediately upon beginning this story. And it's a huge, huge theme of like duality and sort of like, uh, equivocation between, you know, what words mean and what they signify and, uh, 
you know, how different words can sound the same or the same word can mean a bunch of different things or, you know, words only mean what we are trying to make them mean. So I can say something that is nonsense, but if I'm trying to make it mean something, then it means the same thing as real words do. Like, um, it's a very, very linguistically playful narrative that um, is not really something that can get super translated through just a synopsis, but it is a great, great part of the experience of reading Alice in Wonderland. So if slash when you, dear listeners, go and read this yourself, uh, that is something that you have to look forward to, that you're just not going to get from me here, um, because I would have to read the entirety of the book to you. Um, it's a unique experience that really deserves to be read, because there's just so much that you can kind of sink your teeth into and it's playful and it's not just playful in a nonsense kid way it's playful in quote unquote adult ways in a myriad of ways um i did the disney animated version of alice in wonderland that came out in 1951 i want to say um, and so far the disney version did a very good job at keeping to the source material uh they did change the intro just a little bit i they don't ever say how old alice is but to me it seems like she's a little older than seven only because i'm around seven-year-olds a lot like (laughs) her vocabulary and her reasoning like throughout all the things that happen make me place her around like 12 or 14 she's like middle school age probably in the disney version so that is a bit changed and rather than sitting with her sister just like lazing about by a river she's sitting with who i presume to be her mom or like a tutor or something and she's actually studying so alice is doing her studies her teacher is like reciting something that she needs to be learning and alice is just daydreaming she's like I I don't want to learn this I'm this is dumb like and then she sings a song called a world of my own because it's Disney and that's what they do and they built this really beautiful song that introduces basically the what's gonna fucking happen in the story and it's Alice singing about how in her own world if she could have her own place things would be very different you know animals would wear clothes and they'd be able to talk to me and you know everything that makes sense wouldn't make sense and everything that doesn't make sense would make sense basically everything would be opposite um and she's trying to explain this to her little cat and her cat's like what the fuck and she finishes her song about being in a world of her own which would be a wonderland which she says in the song Mm -hmm. and then she notices the rabbit so she is kind of drifting, like daydreaming about this song and then notices the rabbit. And then she falls down the hole, much like in the book, and appears. The only difference in this scene is that the door, the small door, door handle talks because it's everything Let's in see. Disney is anthropomorphic <laughs> yes. um, because that's what makes everything work. 
So the door handle of the small door that she is trying to go through basically tells her what to do. Like, oh, you're too big. You need to drink from the bottle. You're too small. You need to do this. And instead of a cake, it's a box of cookies. So it's very similar, just slightly changed for the sake of animation and to help the story along because you can't really get that internal monologue that you're getting yes. while reading the book exactly. so they have to do it through other characters which they added with the doorknob that is something that disney i do remember it's been a long time since i watched the the disney animated movie but yes absolutely the anthropomorphizing and like having more quote unquote like lots more characters honestly yeah not necessarily yeah definitely disney does have the more characters um, even despite the fact that it does cut out some characters yeah. um, eventually, but like it does do more. And that's exactly why they did that. Um, like looking back now as an adult, they did that to try and facilitate what I was just talking about of the the like wordplay yeah. and the, the precocious sort of fun, uh, wordy weirdness that is supposed to be the the atmosphere of Wonderland. And I'm glad you mentioned her cat too, because we don't see her cat, but she references her cat quite often. Her yeah. cat's name is Dinah. Yeah, Dinah the cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is a very cute animated Disney cat and really the only animated Disney cat that actually resembles a cat <laughs> like in this movie like I was racking my brain while I was watching it and I'm pretty sure to my in my brain which is filled with a lot of Disney shit it was the <laughs> only cat that I can recall that wasn't anthropomorphized to look like it's trying to talk to you like right. it actually had cat eyes rather than like human eyes with irises and pupils and stuff it had no it had like legitimate like slit eyes Nice. like a cat would have <laughs> yeah so yeah Dinah's is one of a kind all right chapter two this is the pool of tears so alice has just eaten the cakes we talked about that uh she's correct they do make her large they make her too large they make her so large that her head hits the ceiling uh the illustrations that go along with this um from the like uh very early slash original um, publications of Alice in Wonderland, by the way, are entirely terrifying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hold on. I have to show this to you. Unfortunately, you can't see things because you're podcast listeners, but yeah, they uh, have some Katie of them in the see. in the like extra features of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, it's, it's very, this one. <laughs> it's very um, Tim Burton-esque. I would say the drawings, it's like, imagine that Tim Burton read Alice in Wonderland and then drew up storyboards for Mm -hmm. Alice. Like, just imagine his storyboards for the Alice in Wonderland that he did. Like, imagine the creep factor that went into those storyboards. Mm -hmm. Shit was probably weird as fuck. And that is legit the original drawings for this book. (laughs) Yes, they were quite strange and this one in particular she's like she's not grown tall in proportion she's like stretched her body has gotten a little longer but not too long but her neck has suddenly like grown like five it's the grossest 
picture. It's grotesque, yeah. It's so bad. In the movie, she grows proportionately. Yes. They didn't mess with any of that. Yeah. She just like, she went from being a very short little girl to a very tall little girl. <laughs> so she was correct. It makes her grow big. It makes her grow too big. She is so big now that her head hits the ceiling. And now this is like the third or fourth time at this point that she's been trying to do something and she's been thwarted and she's frustrated and seven. So she starts crying a lot. Yeah, like you uh, Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's uh, really upset because she was tired before this happened and now she has no idea what's going on and is really frustrated. Homegirl so just needed she, a nap. Yeah, she she cries so much, however, because she's it's not necessarily that she cries so much, but you have to think about she's huge now. So her yeah. tears in proportion to the room are a lot more in volume than they would be if she was a regular little girl size. Yeah. So she cries a normal amount, but that normal amount makes an abnormal amount of water. <laughs> so she floods the hallway and she had picked up while she was crying a little fan. She had been chasing the rabbit. He had dropped his like gloves and fan on his way like out before she had gotten trapped and lost him in the room of doors. He had dropped his gloves and his fan. So at one point she picked the fan and the gloves up. So she's been crying now. She's flooding the hallway. She doesn't necessarily actually know that that's what she's doing. She gets hot. So she starts fanning herself um, because she's worked herself up, obviously. But she doesn't realize that the fan is making her shrink again. So now suddenly she's flooded the hallway and she's growing smaller and she realizes just in time to not make herself so small that she like winks out of existence. Um, but now she's small in like a huge sea basically of her own tears. And she is swimming around going like, well, I guess I'm fucked uh, basically. And she sees swimming around in her tear ocean, a mouse. And she's like, hey, mouse. And the mouse ignores her. And so she's like, maybe it's the French mouse because she's seven. And so she starts trying to talk to the mouse in French. The mouse is very offended at this, apparently, and like tries to run away from her. <laughs> um, and basically, they have this conversation where she's trying to talk to the mouse because this is the first person that she's seen here and she's lonely now because she's been down here for quite a while at this point but she keeps offending the mouse because she talks about her cat and it's a mouse and she starts talking about a dog and it it's a mouse so the mouse is just very very disturbed by everything that that comes out of her mouth and uh she essentially swims with the mouse finally to shore whatever that shore is and that's the end of chapter two <laughs> the movie did it a little bit different um she still makes a giant like puddle of tears and because the door the little door is anthropomor anthropomorphized and has eyes and a mouth um he's yelling at her like you need to stop crying you need to do something like he's gonna drown because he has a mouth 
So she finds the bottle that shrinks you and takes another sip and drinks it and becomes so small that she falls into the bottle. Um, so now she is basically the size of a little piece of paper and she's floating in this bottle. The door, because he doesn't want to drown, decides to open up his mouth as wide as he can to let all the water out. And Alice ends up going through the knob of the door and out into what she has created an ocean, basically. And in this ocean, she is trying to get out of her little bottle. She's trying to signal. She starts seeing all these different animals. Like there's a dodo and there's some other birds and there's like a little penguin. Like there's all these different animals. And she's trying to signal to them like, hey, I'm stuck in a bottle. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. And they just ignore her because they're trying to get to shore. So she finally makes her way out of the bottle and is washed up on shore with all of these other animals. And here we are. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the door scolding her. This actually happens in the narrative, but it's Alice scolds herself. Uh, Alice actually has this thing where uh, the narrator tells us that she often pretends to herself a lot that she's two people at once. So she like talks to herself. So she's schizophrenic. So she's like yelling at herself to stop crying and that like, it's not adult. You're more mature than this. There's no point in crying. It's not doing anything, but she's seven years old. (laughs) This is an 1860s child with schizophrenia. (laughs) So- Which was- undiagnosable at the time put a pin in it so (laughs) chapter three is called the caucus race and a long tail she and the mouse have swam to the shore of the sea of tears and as katie was mentioning the other animals uh these animals are here at the shore when the mouse and alice get there Uh, They've all been, of course, caught in this sea of tears, too. So now that they're here, they all convene. Uh, They're trying to talk with each other because their conundrum is now that they're all wet, they need to get dry again. Um, And so they're trying to figure out how to get dry. So (laughs) at first, the mouse is like, hold on, hold on. I got this. This is the driest thing I know. This will get us all dry real quick. And he starts reciting a speech by William the Conqueror. Uh, Word play here. The driest thing. That's funny. So after a while, everyone's like, this not working, bruh. And and the dodo is like, okay, we got to do something else. Let's have a race. Uh, so a caucus race is the same thing, essentially, as like, it's like a relay race, basically. The um, dodo is like, let's have a race, and yeah. then uh, we'll have two teams, and running around will make us dry, basically. So they have this race, and even though it's supposed to technically be like a real race, and someone's supposed to win, there's no rules, so everyone's just running around in circles without really knowing what they're doing 
uh, and they do that for a long time until everyone's tired and they're dry again. <laughs> and then uh, the dodo is like, all right, the race is over. And they're like, all right, who won? The dodo thinks for a very long time and is like, it was a tie. Everyone wins. And everyone's like, well, then what are our prizes? And so Alice like is like, oh, I have some little like little like candies basically like in her pocket and she's like I have these from earlier before I jumped into this rabbit hole and they're like great and so she like doles them out and there's exactly enough for everyone to have one basically and they're like oh but there's not enough for you and she's like uh and she like is rooting around in her pocket and she finds a thimble and is like I have this and they're like that'll be fine and so they take the thimble from her and then they give it back to her in a big ceremony of uh being so nice to give everyone the gifts for their being winners um eventually unfortunately how how fun this is uh she frightens all of the animals away <laughs> uh because as she was doing with the mouse she's trying to talk to these animals and what she knows about animals is deals with her knowing things about her cat <laughs> so all of the animals around are like birds and uh rodents so they don't like cats and so everyone's basically just like ah, goodbye don't want to talk about this anymore and she frightens all of them away essentially and that is the end of chapter three so the animated movie handled this a little differently just a tiny bit so all of these animals are on the shore and the dodo suggests a caucus race and he sings a song about the caucus race because it's a Disney movie. Now, the way that they do this is the animals <clears throat> are running around a rock, like in a circle, they're all in a line, they're running around a rock. And the dodo is sitting on top of the rock with a fire, warming himself up drying off now he is high enough up high up enough on this rock that he is legitimately drying off but everyone else is still too close to the shore and every time the tide comes in they get wet again so alice is trying to speak up to the dodo and explain to him this isn't gonna work no one's gonna get dry this way and the dodo's like pish posh like i'm fucking dry already like this is working out great and <laughs> and Disney basically uses it to take a jab at high society because like the working class animals down at the bottom are not getting oh, yeah. any type of dryness at all. Meanwhile, the dodo who's in charge of the race, who's controlling, who's telling all these animals what to do to, to fix themselves, to get better, to get dry, he's dry already, he's been dry. And Alice is just like kind of stuck in this circle trying to explain this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. And the animals right. behind her are kind of pushing her along, like forcing her in. And she's like, you know what? I've had enough of this. And she jumps out of the circle and she's like, you guys are never going to get dry. I'm out. And she just leaves. Deuces. <laughs> it's like, this is a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> this dodo is insane listen listen i know that i'm talking to a bunch of ginormous animals right now but this is where i draw the line this yeah, is too I, like running in circles is not gonna help anything <laughs> i forgot to mention it in the last chapter but the mouse that uh was in the hallway what is 
what will be known as the Dormouse, um, is not present yet in the animated film. They chose to take that character and move them way later into the story. Um, and all the kind of same things, like getting scared about hearing about cats, like that happens uh, consistently with the Dormouse, but it doesn't happen yet in the movie. They just moved that character like way later into the story. Chapter four, we are now at the rabbit sends a little bill. Now that she has been abandoned, the minute that the uh, animals have left, the white rabbit actually appears again. Uh, and he is looking around for the gloves and fan that he dropped because they apparently aren't his, as Alice thought, but they belong to someone that is, according to what the rabbit is, is referring to, the Duchess. So he's looking for the Duchess's gloves and fan going, ah, I have to find them. And he sees her, but he is obviously very distracted because he's been distracted already because he's late late for a very important date no time to say hello goodbye uh so he sees her but he mistakes her for uh alice assumes to be probably his maid um he calls her marianne and orders alice to go to his house to retrieve the duchess's gloves and fan so rather than correct him she just does what he says um so she goes to the house um, goes inside and there's no one immediately around there's like no one inside the house basically so she kind of looks around she finds another little bottle and of course at this point she's like well something interesting always happens when i eat or drink something here so let's see what happens so she <laughs> so she drinks uh this bottle and she immediately begins to grow large again and she's like oh no because now she's not in like an open environment she's inside the rabbit's house and she's growing and she's like well, hopefully I just stop growing before I get too big. <laughs> and that doesn't happen. So she's getting bigger and bigger. And now she's like, has to like punch her arm out through one of the windows and like has to poke her elbow, you know, into the door. So she's like blocking the door closed. And now her like foot has to like stick up into the chimney, up the fireplace because she just doesn't have any room because she's so large. Uh, finally she stops growing but she's like well now I'm never gonna get the fuck out of this house basically I'm too big I'm stuck in here what did I do to myself so after a while the rabbit comes back because obviously he thinks he sent his maid off to get the gloves and the fan and she hasn't come back yet so he's now like where are you? Ah! And he tries to open the door but he can't get it open because as the afore mentioned elbow is in the way so he's like <sighs> so he goes around the back and when he goes around the back he is intending to go through the window except when he gets there he obviously can't do that because there's a giant ass arm hanging out of his window and so he's very much like she can't see them but she can hear the rabbit is very obviously like what the fuck is this basically and she starts trying to grab him and he like 
she can't hear what's going on. She can hear, sorry, but she can't see what's going on, but she can hear. So she hears when she tries to grab him, he clearly like falls into something because she hears something break. And he's like, ah, ah, uh, and he calls for his gardener. His gardener is named Bill, the lizard. And he's like, we have to fix this. Get this, get this. What is this? And Bill is like, it's an arm. And he's like, what do you mean it's an arm? He's like, I mean, look at it. It's an arm. It's like, that's preposterous. Why is it so big? He's like, I, you're, I don't, how do you expect me to know the answer to that question, basically? And he's like, well, get it out of my window, basically. And so when he tries to move, she tries to grab at them again. And so now they jump away and knock into something else this time. And now, she hears them going and gathering more people essentially and she hears through their talk that what they've done now is they've gotten a ladder and they make bill the lizard go up to the chimney and she's thinking to herself like good fucking luck you're gonna run into my foot and they're like all right just go down into the chimney so she waits until she hears something scurrying down into the chimney and then she kicks her foot up and everyone is like <gasps> there he goes so she's literally launched bill the lizard out of the chimney and uh the crowd is just like what um and so they like revive poor bill they're like get him get him and they're like slapping him awake they're like give give him something to drink bill bill what happened tell us what happened and he's like i don't even i don't know all i know is i was in the chimney and all of a sudden i was just flying through the air <laughs> so essentially they're like all right we're gonna like throw fire down there and she hears this and goes if you do that i will crush all of you and this is like the first time she's spoken so now they're like oh jesus fuck <laughs> what the fuck is in there and so they start throwing pebbles at her basically like through any cracks that they can and she's like stop throwing rocks at me because they kind of like hurt basically and they won't listen so she realizes as they're throwing pebbles at her that when the pebbles are landing around her in the house they start turning into little cakes and she's like, hmm, food. Food always means I change size here. So she starts eating the little cakes and she's correct. It makes her grow small again. So she runs out when she's small enough to be able to get out um, and like basically escapes the mob <laughs> that's outside. And uh, she's gotten so small now out of the little... Um, cakes that she's eaten that she comes across a ginormous dog like Clifford the Big Red Dog style basically um it's a very cute dog the dog doesn't mean her any harm but it's obviously ginormous and she's small at this point so she has to like distract him she like tosses like a stick a certain way and it runs after it and so she like has to run away uh and she uh is now crawling through the wilderness uh in as a small little munchkin. So 
at this point in the story, there is a slight deviation. And I don't know if this just like Disney chose to put this just out of order or what. So you'll have to tell me. So in the Disney version, after she walks away from the dodo on the beach and follows the rabbit into the forest, she is wandering through and meets Tweedledee and Tweedledum. In the forest with Tweedledee and Tweedledum, they are, for lack of a better word, obnoxious. Um, She is trying to follow the white rabbit and they are very much like, hi, you're brand new. Like you're being super rude right now. You need to introduce yourself to us. Like we need to become friends. Like it's a whole thing. Like what the fuck? And she's just like, but I'm trying to follow the white rabbit. Like I got, I got to go. And this is an emergency, sir. And they start asking her like, well, why, why, why are you following the white rabbit? Like what's going on? And she's like, well, I don't know. I'm just very curious. I'm curious to know where he's going. And Tweedledee and Tweedledum are both like, what curiosity? Oh no, no, no. That's bad. And they tell her the story slash sing her the song about the walrus and the carpenter or the story of the curious oysters. And basically there is a walrus and a small carpenter man, and they are going to build like a shack to live in like a small house. But before they start building, like they realize that they're hungry and the carpenter sticks his head down into the water of the ocean and realizes like sees a whole bed of oysters and he's like oh shit so he signals to the walrus and he's like hey like there's oysters down there like let's get them and then we'll eat them for lunch and then we can keep building our house or whatever and the walrus is like no i'm not trying to do any work like you do the work i'll get the oysters (laughs) i'll get the oysters to the house right to the to our little shack so we can eat so the walrus convinces these oysters um, that they need to come up to the surface and explore the world, like go on an adventure and explore the world. And they're like baby oysters. So they're like, yeah, cool. Even though the mom warns them, like, this is a bad idea. Don't do that. So they it's follow. Always, sorry, I need to pause go just ahead. to say when I was a child, you know, when you remember things absurdly for the reason, yeah. for no reason, but you're like, for whatever reason, that thing imprinted on your brain. Yeah. I always remember this particular part of this Alice scene. in Wonderland yeah. because when I was a kid, I was always really fucking sad. Yeah. I was always like, the baby oysters. Yeah. There's so, so many other sad things that happen in this fucking movie, yeah. but that's the moment that I remember that like broke my heart. Yeah. So the carpenter um, is up on the shore and he's building, he builds their little shack and gets like a giant table set up. Uh, so that all the oysters can join him, join them for dinner and all these things. And he's, uh, the walrus comes in and gets the oysters all set, sat down in their seats. And the carpenter goes in the back and he's like prepping like an appetizer or something like that for for everyone to eat because we're all going to eat. And then after we eat like an appetizer, the the walrus and the carpenter are going to just eat the oysters because that's what you do with oysters. So the carpenter's in the back doing his thing, getting everything prepped. And when he comes back out, he starts calling, oh, little oysters, little oysters, where are you, little oysters? And they're just shells because the walrus has eaten 
all of them while his friend the carpenter was in the back so (laughs) all of the oysters are dead and the walrus is just like oh they had to go like they they had (laughs) and the carpenter's like bitch and they fight and that's the end of the Tweedledum story and it's basically a warning they're trying to warn alice like curiosity will get you killed like Mm -hmm. it's not a good thing to be curious here and she's like oh well curiosity is dangerous for oysters but not for me like i'll be fine and they're just like okay and she keeps walking then she happens upon the white rabbit again and the whole fiasco with the house happens there are small tweaks here like instead of drinking something to get big she eats another cookie she like finds a cookie in a little thing uh, while looking for the gloves and eats it and gets huge then rather than bill being the first person to show up um the dodo shows up Mm. and the white rabbit is freaking out because there's a giant monster in his house he's like he realizes immediately like this is a monster not just he does it's not that he didn't notice the hands and everything he noticed them right off the bat and he was like help help there's a monster somebody help me so the dodo comes and is like okay well let's figure out what we can do and they try to start thinking of things and then the gardener bill walks by with his ladder bill the lizard and they force bill down into the chimney much like in the, the real story and bill's like not having any of it he's like no there's a fucking monster like fuck let me bullshit. get the fuck out of here i'm not trying to be here <laughs> so he gets down into y'all. the chimney and the way that disney did this scene with the house is a little different they made it just like she's sitting and the house is basically covering her head and chest and her arms are out so her the placement of her like limbs and feet and things are a little different from how sam was describing it in the book but they basically send bill down the chimney and he like releases a bunch of soot while he's climbing down the chimney and it makes alice sneeze and then he gets shot up into the air because she's a giant and she sneezed (laughs) and they just say oh poor bill and he just disappears forever like he's not in any other part of the story (laughs) I forgot that he just disappears. That's great. So then Alice gets the same idea. Like I need to eat something. If I eat something, that'll fix things, right? So she sees out of the window that she can look at because she opened it like to see through. She sees that the the rabbit has a garden. So she goes to grab like a carrot and the uh, rabbit doesn't want her to, obviously, because he's a rabbit and you don't take carrots from rabbits. So so Mm -hmm. she grabs a carrot and is just trying to eat it. And the rabbit thinks he's going to eat her or eat that she's going to eat him. That was hard to say. And (laughs) she takes a bite of this carrot and the rabbit freaks out because he thinks she bit his arm off, which she didn't. But then she shrinks down, 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 super down because she ate, took like a big ass bite of this carrot. And then she is super small and runs away. And when she runs away in this version, in the Disney version, she ends up in a garden. What Katie just told us about what happens next in the movie version versus the story um, is great because all of before what happens in the book, uh, what I just described, before all of that, she mentioned about how Alice in the movie meets Tweedledee and Tweedledum and they have a bunch of talks and things like that. All of that is actually 
content from Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there, which is the sequel to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. So technically speaking, Disney is not wrong in the sense that like these these are definitely people that Alice does eventually meet, but she doesn't meet them now. Um, so the walrus and the carpenter is a poem that is in through the looking glass uh the jabberwocky as uh katie was mentioning at the beginning of uh this episode like talking about like tim burton stuff and kind of more modern sort of derivative works uh about alice in wonderland and kind of the whole world and things like that all of those are from the sequel to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Uh, so Tweedledum and Tweedledee are definitely present. They just don't rear their heads here. Chapter five is advice from a caterpillar. So as Alice is now wandering through the uh, shrubbery uh, as a tiny person, she comes to a big mushroom. And on top of this big mushroom, there is a caterpillar. It is a blue caterpillar and it is smoking a hookah pipe. <laughs> and the caterpillar is very, very short and very um, disagreeable, essentially. Like Alice will say something and it'll be like, no, essentially, like whatever Alice says, it'll say, the, it'll negate her, basically. And she finds this just really frustrating um, because it's consternating for a seven-year-old to have that sort of attitude uh, kind of tossed at you so authoritatively, especially because like Alice kind of opens up to the caterpillar here that she's kind of having a little bit of an identity crisis at this point in her adventures, as uh, I mentioned previously, uh, uh, her understanding of like who she is and like how the world works has very obviously warped here in Wonderland because the laws of everything, everything. that she knows is are just not the same. Uh, you know, even the laws of physics, right? So she kind of starts talking to him and he's like what do you mean you're two different people or you know you've forgotten things so she starts talking about like oh you know well earlier I couldn't remember the classic poem whatever and he's like show me basically recite this poem and so she recites it and she does it wrong again so she recites an entire parody of a different poem um, where it's not at all the correct version of it it's this kind of rewritten strange version of it and the caterpillar is like yeah you're right that's fucked up uh beginning to end totally wrong <laughs> and she's like yeah you see what i mean and he's like well that sucks sorry and she's like you don't you don't have any advice for me or anything and he's like no <laughs> essentially um as the caterpillar is not a whole lot of help basically but when he crawls away he kind of turns over his shoulder and it's like oh by the way one side of the mushroom makes you tall and the other side of it makes you short so that'll fix your whole like growing and shrinking problem that you've been having just take some little pieces of the mushroom with you basically and she's like oh that is helpful great so she breaks off pieces of the different sides of the mushroom and she starts experimenting like she 
kind of takes a little bit of a nibble and sees like, okay, this is the side that makes me grow smaller. All right, that one goes in this pocket. Uh, now I'm going to bite here. And she takes a little bit of a bite of the side that makes her grow big. And her neck, only her neck, once again, grows so long that it's up above the tops of the trees now. And it's so long and like snaky that a bird mistakes her for a snake and starts attacking her going like snake stay away from my nest and she's like I'm not a snake and she's like that's just something a snake would say that (laughs) makes so much more sense (laughs) and she's kind of like listen I promise I don't want your eggs I don't really care I'm just trying to like figure my shit out and the bird is basically like well I'm just trying to live my life and have my babies not get ate so like if you're not a snake then quit wasting my time and go away because I'm trying to fucking sleep basically (laughs) and uh Alice is like uh fair dues fair dues uh totally fine um so she does some more efforts to bring herself back to her normal size finally keeps walking uh and she comes to this little like estate like land and property and that's the end of this chapter disney added another scene uh in the middle here and i don't know if it's from one of the other stories um but it is my absolute favorite scene from this entire movie And it is the Garden of Flowers. So after Alice destroys the house of the white rabbit and shrinks down to very small size, she runs into a flower garden. And she's looking around and admiring all the beautiful flowers. And she hears a voice. And she's not really sure what where the voice came from because she's just surrounded by flowers. And she starts thinking to herself and kind of talking out loud, like, oh, well, it couldn't have been the flowers. Like, flowers don't talk. And a flower answers her and is like, of course we talk. And we sing, too. And then all of the flowers around her kind of come to life and start singing a song about. Yes, they start singing this song called Golden Afternoon, which is all about all of the flowers in their garden. So. They sing about the tiger lilies and the dandelions. Like Disney did a really good job uh, that I think only animation could have pulled this off. Like as Sam was talking about the wordplay that's in this book, um, Disney took it like a step further than they needed to and just made this scene <laughs> amazing. So like the tiger lilies are tigers. Like they they have like the stripes and stuff of a tiger. Um, dandelions are lions. Um, there yes. are bread and butterflies that are have wings that are little pieces of bread. Oh yeah. There oh, are God, I totally um, about them. dog and caterpillars. So like little caterpillar dogs and little caterpillar kit like with cat heads. Um, it's just fucking amazing. Uh, there's like wake up in the morning glories, uh, rocking horse flies and all sorts of different things. And all of these flowers are singing together about the beautifulness of their flower bed and how each of them are unique and what they bring to the basic, the flower bed. Um, so they sing this beautiful song and at the end they have Alice sing the last verse and she kind of cracks because she's a child. And she's embarrassed, but the flower's like, 
it's cool, bro. Like that was great. Cool. And then they start talking, like asking her questions and Alice is trying to answer them. And one of them is like, oh, well, what's, what species, what genus are you? Well, I've never seen a flower that looks like you before. What genus are you? And she's like, well, I guess I'm genus humanicus. Like she's trying to explain that she's a human. Humanicus. Yeah. She's like trying to explain that she's a human and the flowers are like the fuck. And they start looking at her in her, you know, in her dress and her leggings and things and start like one of the flowers is an absolute bitch. And it's just like, well, I've never like, look at this, look at her stalks. Like, are the, these are garbage ugly ass flower fuck yeah like uh i've never seen, you know <laughs> this bloom like her she doesn't even have any fragrance like basically calling her ugly as fuck because she's not a fucking flower and alice right. is like oh i'm not a flower so like i can't be mad i guess but i'm right. not you're and not then, wrong but <laughs> and then that same bitchy flower is like she's a weed and then all of the flowers freak oh, the fuck out they're no. like we don't want to weed in our garden and they push her out like they physically push her out of the garden and like picking on her, like push her out of the garden. Then um, on her way out of the little flower garden part, she happens upon the high as a kite caterpillar um, who is also smoking hookah in a Disney film, which was interesting. Like it was the fifties, I guess. So they cared a lot less about us. They're showing smoking and things in films. Um, but it's very similar to uh how they Sam also described it very, from the books. very orientalize it so it's yeah. kind of like when it's more fantastical they found it more acceptable yeah <laughs> racism yeah so uh this indian buddhist type Dude. caterpillar <laughs> is singing this song a-e-i-o-u and he's making like smoke from his hookah like in oh, the yeah shape he's of making the, the smoke rings yeah yeah and Alice gets there and tries to ask him a question. And just like in the book, he's being a super dick about it. Like, who the fuck are you? And he keeps asking, who are you? Who are you? And Alice has an existential crisis. She's like, I don't fucking know who I am. I don't know where <laughs> we're at. Stop asking me. On. I'm trying to find <laughs> out, bro. Yeah, she's like, I can't answer your question because I honestly don't know. And he's just getting more and more upset. And he's like, I'm, she's... She says, I'm trying to, gr- I just want to go back to my normal size because, you know, three inches is just a dreadful height. And then he gets fucking pissed. And he's like, what? This, this happens in the, in the book too. He's they like, have the bitch, same conversation. I'm three inches. How fucking dare you? <laughs> he three gets, inches is a great height. And he bitch. goes off and he creates this huge like smoke cloud around him. And when the smoke clears, he is now a butterfly. And he's just like, he's pissed. And like Alice realizes that she's upset him and she tries oh, to apologize shit. and he's like not hearing it. But he, as he's flying away, he's like the mushroom. One side of the mushroom will make you big, one side will make you small. So she grabs two pieces and puts them in her pockets. Um, she walks a little bit of the ways out of the little garden area and more towards kind of the forest. And she starts practicing like Sam was talking about with the things. Now in the book, just her neck grows and makes her look like a serpent, which explains a lot because in the movie the bird that she disturbs does call her a serpent and keeps yelling at her that she's a serpent but in the movie she grows proportionately so she goes from being like a little tiny like three inch little girl like the size of a doll to being a 30 foot tall 
huge like yeah giant barbie bait like she's regular size her neck and her head and everything but the bird is still bugging her like bitch you're, tr- you're a serpent like you're trying to steal my eggs yeah. like and just picking on her so alice finally figures it out she's like taking little bites of her different things trying to figure out the right size and finally she licks the one that makes her small or she, no she bites the one that makes her small and it makes her teeny tiny again and then she licks the one that makes her big and she ends up perfect alice height and then she happens upon a courtyard that is like blocked off with a hedge it's like it's a very fancy hedge design little courtyard that she happens upon after this and then we're at the next Uh, part just by the way before continuing yes um the live flower garden is also in through the looking glass so yeah not in alice's adventures i'm glad um, they added it to the cartoon because legitimately that's my favorite part that song is fantastic i remember the song i always remember the song and the imagery good the next chapter is called pig and pepper there is a footman at the door of this large house at this estate that she's found and alice is like i know he's a footman because he looks like a footman uh, other than his head which is a fish head this is a fish footman and the foot the fish footman has come to deliver to another footman who is a footman except for his frog head and they exchange basically like little invitations between the duchess and the queen this is the first reference that we get to a queen alice after they she watches this uh she starts talking to the frog and is like can I go in? And he's like, I don't know. Can you basically like they have some more wordplay stuff. And finally she's like, okay, fuck you. I'm just going to walk in basically. (laughs) And so she walks into the house and inside the Duchess is sitting with a baby and the baby is crying. And there is a cook at the uh, big cauldron basically at the big cook's fireplace essentially and this cook is throwing shit around the kitchen and making soup and it has entirely too much pepper in it and the cook is just continuing to add pepper even though there's already too much pepper and there's so much pepper in the air that like Alice is like, you can see it in the air. Like it burns your eyes. You can smell it. There's too much of it. So everyone is sneezing because there's so much pepper, except however, for the cook. And there's one other person in a person. There's one other presence in this kitchen. So we've got the Duchess, the baby, Alice now, the cook that's throwing shit everywhere and continuing to throw pepper everywhere and there's a cat and alice is like what the fuck is wrong with that cat because it's a beautiful cat and looks like a normal cat except there's a huge ass grin on its face and she walks in and is like why is that cat grinning and the duchess is like it's a cheshire cat and that's all the answer that Alice gets. <laughs> um, and so essentially she sticks around for a while, but 
there's nothing going on in here except chaos. The cook is just throwing things everywhere. The baby is continually crying and the Duchess is not doing anything uh, to like help the baby. She's just yelling at it, kind of mean stuff to be honest and calling it a pig. So the Duchess essentially is like, here, hold my baby. I'm gonna go do something else, basically. I just got invited to play croquet. So I'm going to go do other things now and get ready to go play croquet, basically. So Alice has the baby now and like runs out of the kitchen basically. Cause she's like, I don't wanna be in here cause the cook's throwing shit everywhere. Um, so she runs out and she's holding the baby and as she's walking, she's like, is this a baby? Because it doesn't really look like a baby. And as she's walking, indeed, the baby has turned from a baby into a pig. And so she sets the pig down and the pig runs away. <laughs> and that's the end of the baby. And after she does this, the Cheshire cat from the kitchen appears suddenly in the tree next to her. And she's like, hi and he's like sup and she's like so um which way should I go he's like I don't fucking know what are you trying to go for whichever way you want to go and she's like well I just want to like meet some people he's like you're definitely going to do that no matter where you go and she's like okay fair but uh, and he's like well that way there's a hatter that way there's a rabbit Either way, they're both fucking bonkers. So like you're in for the same exact experience no matter which way you walk, it doesn't really matter. And she's like, okay, well, uh, thanks. And he's like, what happened to the baby? And she's like, it turned into a pig. He's like, yeah, that, that checks out. And he just leaves <laughs> and disappears. Yep, that um, checks out. <laughs> And that's the end of that chapter. After the caterpillar fiasco and the serpent thing, she's at like the beginning of the forest when the bird is attacking her and she gets back to her normal size. She has to walk through the forest um, before she gets to the courtyard that I mentioned. So um, as she's walking through the forest, she sees all these signs and they just say just random nonsense, like up, down, left, right, like different names that she's not, quite sure of different things and she's getting frustrated about where to go and then a smile appears on a tree branch above her and then a cat follows that smile and the Cheshire cat appears and asks her you know the same kind of questions like where do you want to what are you trying to do what do you where are you going and she's like well I just want to meet like I'm trying to follow the white rabbit but I have no idea where he where he went and all these things and the Cheshire cat explains well you should probably go talk to the mad hatter because he probably knows where the white rabbit is but if he doesn't know then you need to talk to the march hare because the march hare also probably knows where the white rabbit is and Alice is like oh well I think I'll go talk to the white rabbit or to the march hare because I'm not trying to talk to anybody who's mad um I've had enough madness for one day this same conversation happens in the book Mm -hmm. yeah and alice and the cheshire cat's like well 
everyone's nuts. So like they're both crazy. So either way, saucers, I'm tripping out. I definitely just took five ecstasy pills. Yes. So either way, whichever way you go, whichever whoever you choose to go meet, um, they're gonna be nutso. So like, good luck. So Alice sighs and is frustrated and is like, well, fuck it. I guess I'll go see the Mad Hatter. So she follows the signs for the Mad Hatter and then happens upon the courtyard that I described earlier. Yeah, Disney took out the whole like baby turning into a pig and the duchess and the cook. They took all of that out. <laughs> a little too wild for, I think, what they were going for. Uh, as Katie says, she decides to go see the March Hare and not the Mad Hatter, but it doesn't matter as the Cheshire Cat warned her because the Everyone's March Hare nuts. and the Hatter are together and she ends up finding them outside at a big tea party. Um, and so the Which March is- Hare is here, the Mad Hatter is here, and there is a Dormouse who is, God, whatever the word is for uh, like chronic sleeping not insomnia the opposite of insomnia narcolepsy narcolepsy (laughs) yeah he's narcoleptic for sure the dormouse cannot stay awake um (laughs) at all and is constantly being woken up by the mad hatter and the march hare so alice is basically like hanging out with these guys for a little bit but they are she finds them a little peculiar not obviously any more than everything else has been but a little more on the rude side in the same vein as like the caterpillar was she finds them a little rude they make comments about you know things that she doesn't consider appropriate like you wouldn't say that to like strangers basically um they'll be like just out of nowhere like oh, you need to cut your hair. Your hair is way too fucking long and you're looking shaggy, basically. And she'll yeah. be like, you should not be talking to people like this. You don't know me. I don't know you. I don't know your life. You don't know my life, basically. Um, and they constantly interrupt her. Um, this is where there are lots of riddles at play and they ask her the why is a raven like a writing desk riddle? And she can't really figure it out and uh they're having tea but they're also trying to like get the mad hatter's clock to work because it's broken because it's wrong but the watch is not a real watch it's not like a time of day watch it's a it's a date of day watch so he's like what day of the month is it and she's like the the fourth she's like the fourth and he's like yeah that's still wrong fuck you march hair and he's like listen it was the best butter that we had how was i supposed to know it wasn't gonna work so they've like slathered like butter all up into the like cogs and shit and i was like that's why your fucking watch doesn't work because you're fucking it up and they're like yeah we're pretty sure you're wrong but like that's fine you're a kid so like we won't take it personally <laughs> anyway <laughs> basically um 
it's a very strange, crazy ass time. Uh, but the Hatter is essentially like, well, we have tea all day because the Mad Hatter actually knows time, the person, the man, personally. And time actually punished him by making him every day at 6 p.m., which is tea time, have to eternally stand still. So he doesn't, he's not allowed by time to actually engage in real high society's tea time. So he has gone mad and he has made every other time of the day tea time to compensate for it. So she basically just gets tired of the riddles and the rudeness and the interrupting and she's like this is a the stupidest fucking tea party that has ever been uh in existence i'm leaving and she leaves (laughs) and that's the end of that chapter so this scene is a little different in the Disney version and is arguably the most memorable scene from this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is the scene in the Disney movie where we get the Very Merry Unbirthday song. Like Sam said, Alice happens upon this courtyard and the Mad Hatter and the March Hare are there as well as the narcoleptic Dormouse. And they're all sitting there. She hears them singing before she opens the gate. And is like, oh, well, that seems, you know, like a fun, fun time. So she joins in the gate and sits down at the far end of the table, far away from where the Mad Hatter and the March Hare are. And she overhears their song, The Very Merry Birthday," And they're wishing each other a very merry birthday And drinking tea and eating you know the whole thing that happens with tea at the end of their verse they see her at the end of the thing and they're like oh what the fuck no you can't be here like no this is a special party um this is on this is an unbirthday party so you can't be here and she's like oh well what's an unbirthday and they explain well like you have a birthday every year and every day that it's not your birthday that's your unbirthday like we celebrate it just nonstop because why should you only get to celebrate once a year? Because they're fucking crazy, right? So mm-hmm. Alice is like, oh, well, guess what? It's my unbirthday too. And then immediately the mood changes. March here and the Mad Hatter are like, oh shit, let's sing another verse. Like a very merry unbirthday yes. to Alice, like to you, to me, to everybody. Mm-hmm. And they're just singing along and having a good time. Now, all while this is happening, They're like pouring tea in cups and things and trying to serve Alice. And every time she goes to take a drink, they keep changing her place at the table. They're like, clean cup, clean cup. You need a clean cup or it's time to switch the clean cup. The clean cup uh, circulation happens in this, in the book too. Mm -hmm. So they keep forcing her to not get any tea. And they're like, (laughs) let's, it's time to move. We got to move. We got to move. And they, you know, keep singing the song. They keep doing all these things. And then they, the Mad Hatter, starts with the riddle and he tells he asks the thing about the raven um what the raven and the armchair is that what it was why is a raven like a writing desk that's a writing desk why is a raven like a writing desk and alice like sits and ponders it for a minute and she's really thinking about it 
And she kind of says quietly to herself, why is a raven like a writing desk? And the Mad Hatter hears her and he's like, why is a raven like a writing desk? And he like freaks out. Like she just asked him the riddle. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to think of the answer for your riddle. And he's like, what riddle? I didn't ask a riddle. And then Alice is like, the the mirror has broken. The the mind has broken. She's like, fuck, these dudes are nuts. Like, like she was fine with the unbirthday part and the like, let's party, right. let's hang out. And then like the glass shattered when the riddle thing happened and they just became crazy. Yeah. So they're going through this thing, you know, they kind of talk to Alice about what's happening and she, or about who she is and where she came from. And she starts explaining, oh, well, I was, you know, just sitting, studying with my cat, Dinah and all these things. And the dormouse wakes up from like a dead sleep because he's narcoleptic and at the word cat and freaks the fuck out so he starts running all over the table um and they have to smear jam on his face to get him to calm down because there's clearly some type of like thc or some shit in this jam that is just calming this mouse they're like get him his edible get him his edible exactly exactly where's his gummies yeah um (laughs) so they calm the dormouse down and this happens like twice the dormouse just like freaks the fuck out at the mention of a cat like two different times um and alice is trying to explain well you know i was just looking for the white rabbit um i followed him down the rabbit hole and i'm trying to figure out where he is and all of a sudden the white rabbit bursts into the courtyard you know again i'm late i'm late for a very important date and he's like freaking the fuck out because he's late he's been late so the mad hatter takes his pocket watch and he's like oh well of course you're late your watch is two days slow and the rabbit is like what the fuck two days and Ah! then the hatter proceeds to open up his watch and spread but he like takes out a bunch of cogs and gears he spreads butter on it he spreads jam on it he like rubs some bread in it and then shuts (laughs) it and it like of course doesn't fucking work because it's a clock it's a watch and it fucking like explodes and the rabbit is just heartbroken he's like that was my fucking watch like what the hell and alice has finally just like had it up to here like she can't anymore and the rabbit like is like fuck it like i don't have my watch anymore and i'm really sad about it but i gotta go like i'm too (laughs) late like we gotta get to fucking going so he leaves and alice is like i can't with this shit and she follows him immediately and is like let's get the fuck out of here yeah so they leave and they end up into going into a dark forest and she loses sight of the rabbit like almost immediately like he walks out of the gate and into this forest and she follows him as soon as she can and the second that she steps out of the courtyard and into this forest she can't see him anymore so she just starts walking trying to find him so when alice has left the tea party she finally has entered a the garden that she was trying to get in in the first place she does this because she comes across a random door in a random ass tree and is like great 
So she gets in there and she comes into this garden and sees that there are these three huge playing cards that are painting these roses, these white roses in this rose bush red. And she's like, WTF, why is this happening? And they're like, uh, well, the Queen of Hearts hates some white roses. We planted these by mistake, so we be painting them red. And she's like, sounds reasonable. And I like that that's what she questions and not the fact that there are life-size playing cards that are talking to her. I mean, at this point, (laughs) she's been talking to some crazy ass things that should not be talking back at her. So you're right. right. (laughs) So I think she's just accepted that the random anthropomorphizing of objects and creatures in her vicinity. Suddenly, there starts coming a procession, uh, essentially like what we would consider a parade, basically, except a procession is like they're actually going somewhere, like they have a destination in mind. They're just doing it fancy in public so that you can watch them go to their destination because they're just so important, hence a procession. So this procession happens. The cards that were painting the roses are like, and they just have to like fall to the ground and so they've prostrated themselves basically and Alice is like that's a weird decision but okay as the procession goes there's a bunch of important people duchesses and dukes and kings and queens and the white rabbit is in this procession walking and then the king and queen of hearts come they are the big big uh, attraction of this procession and the queen of hearts suddenly stops right at alice and is like who the fuck are you and she's like uh i'm alice basically she's looking at the cards that are like laying on the ground basically and she's like stop doing that essentially and they're just like they just don't listen to her she's quite annoyed at this and uh yeah so she's essentially like what are you guys doing and they just aren't like giving anything back to her so she's eventually like off with their heads and alice is like no don't fucking chop their heads off they're not doing anything and she looks at alice like excuse the fuck me off with her head and she's like no you're not chopping my head off and the king is like she's like a seven-year-old girl babe like listen it's fine and the queen is like what are they doing here and she sees the roses and she's like i see what they're doing off with their heads and they start running and alice helps them basically like escape essentially so they can't find the cards anymore i mean this is really fast (laughs) they can't find the cards because she helped them basically like jump in a flower pot or something and so the queen is like did you cut their heads off yet and they're like their heads are not here anymore which isn't a lie and she's like 
good, basically. And then turns to Alice and is like, do you like to play croquet? And Alice is like, sure. She's like, do you want to play croquet? And Alice is like, sure. And she's like, great, come on. And they like keep going. So Alice gets, starts walking in the procession basically. And as she's walking, the white rabbit is like, hey, what's up? Today's a crazy day, right? And Alice is like, sure, where's the Duchess? And he's like, basically, and she's like, sorry, why? And he's like, the Duchess is in prison right now. And she's like, what happened? And he's like, she tried to punch the queen. <laughs> Damn. And Alice is like, all right, well, sure, I guess. They start playing croquet. Um, but this game of croquet is just fucking bananas. Um, they're using flamingos as the mallets, and they're using hedgehogs as the balls. So the hedgehogs are rolling around, but then they're unrolling themselves and walking away. And the flamingos are sometimes staying straight and sometimes they're looking around and trying to see what's going on. Uh, so the game- Alice is-, is has just left the Mad Tea Party in the Disney version, uh, the animated Disney version. And ends up following the white rabbit into a spooky, dark forest. She immediately loses sight of the rabbit, um, but continues forward, trying to figure out her way. In this forest, she sees a ton, tons and tons and tons of weird ass animals. There are like birds that look like glasses and pencils and like hammer birds that are like hammering in signs and all sorts of just weird shit and she's really just getting freaked the fuck out um she wants to go home like she's done she's like doesn't give a fuck about the white rabbit anymore she's like i just want to be home i can't handle this anymore like this is too much for me and she sings a song about how she gives really good advice but she never ends up taking her own advice um and basically alludes to like, if I had just followed some of my own good advice, like I wouldn't be in this shitty situation right now. And I could be home like just fine, but I never follow it. So here I am. So she's traveling through this forest and these animals kind of help her out. They point her towards a path and she starts following the path. Um, she gets a little ways down the path and a dog comes is coming down the opposite side of the path and is sweeping it away he's making the path disappear so the path disappears in front of her the dog like sidesteps her and erases the entire path behind her and she just breaks down Mm -hmm. alice sits there on her little square of path and just cries about wanting to go home And all of the animals, all the freaky animals that she has seen, like, end up right next to her, listening to her sing this song and cry with her. They're all sad. And they start disappearing one by one. They start going away. And you really start to feel like, okay, we're getting towards the end of this story. Like, Alice is inching her way towards home because she's starting to 
ignore the nonsense that's kind of around her. She's not noticing it as much. Um, at the end of the song, it's just her all by herself. All the rest of the creatures have gone away. Um, and she's standing there and there's one big tree right in front of her. And the Cheshire cat appears in the tree and is like, well, if you really want to go home, the only way I know the only person who might be able to help you get home would be the queen. You need to go see the queen. So he creates this doorway in this tree for Alice to pass through and she ends up in the queen's courtyard. Now, just like in the book, uh, as Sam described, she happens upon three uh, anthropomorphic cards who are painting the roses red. They sing a whole song about painting the roses red and explaining why they did it because they're dumb and they painted, they planted white flowers and white roses instead of red ones. Um, and just like in Sam's version, uh, you know, there's a processional and all these other cards show up and the queen shows up. Now, when the queen shows up, she's just kind of talking to everyone there trying to figure out what's going on and then she looks at the tree or the big rose bushes and notices a half white half red rose and she walks over to it and plucks it and realizes that these roses have been painted and she just explodes with anger and is like who has been painting my roses red what the fuck and she uproots this whole rose bush, which is absurd. If you've ever dealt with roses, you know that this is just absurd, right. an absurd abuse of strength. Like there's no reason for any person to be yeah. that strong. She pulls up this <laughs> rose bush. She pulls up this rose bush and is just pissed. And she's like, who the fuck? Like, what's going on? She goes over to the cards that were painting the roses. They're all laying down on the floor in front of her with Alice, because Alice had helped, was helping them paint. So the three cards and Alice are laying down on the ground in front of the queen and she starts questioning them. And one of the cards looks up and is like, oh, well, it was his fault. It was number two's fault. And number two is like, it was the ace's fault. And ace is like, it's number three's fault. So they're just yelling at each other. Like it's, it's right. that other card's fault. It's not my fault. It's the other card's fault. And she's like, fuck it off with their heads off with all three of them. Like, I don't give a fuck. So the cards get carted away and taken to whatever prison is available and then alice is like oh well that's really scary but like they i promise she stands up and starts talking to the queen like they weren't trying to do anything like you know they just wanted to make you happy and all these things and the queen is like oh a little girl do you play croquet and alice is like sure like let's play croquet and the queen has all of these demands when she's talking when alice is talking to the queen she has to curtsy. She has to open her mouth really wide. She has to like have her feet out at a specific position. She's very specific about how Alice is right. going to talk to her. So Alice is trying to follow all these rules while also being like, yeah, let's play croquet, fuck it. So they play this croquet match and the queen and all of the people around her are cheering for the queen, <clears throat> of course, because it's the fucking queen. So she picks out her flamingo and she hits her uh, hedgehog, groundhog, whatever the fuck animal it was. And all uh, she has a bunch of cards that have like propped themselves, arched themselves in this animated version, which is really fucking cool. 
uh, they've animated or they've arched themselves into the little like tees that you have to hit through in croquet. So the queen hits her hedgehog with her flamingo and it's nowhere near any of these cards, but the hedgehog knows better because he's fucking playing for the queen. So he keeps popping himself out of his ball to change direction so that he can make it through every single little hoop. So he gets through all of the hoops for the queen, even though they're just like in an insane zigzag. Doesn't make fucking sense. (laughs) Then it's Alice's turn and everything goes wrong for Alice. The flamingo will not cooperate and refuses and makes Alice basically a laughing stock among all of the cards. Then she, when she finally does hit her hedgehog, the hedgehog is purposely trying to miss all of these cards and the cards are purposely trying to make her miss. So they're flattening themselves or they're moving out of the way and doing all these things. So Alice doesn't get any. So clearly the queen wins. Like that's just how it is. So when the queen wins, Alice is basically like, well, that wasn't very fair. Like what the hell? And the queen is like, uh, what? You want to fight this? Okay. Off with her head. And sends Alice away. And then we're at the next scene. (laughs) This next two chapters, uh, because these next things, actually, technically, I should say probably three, um, because two are just things that don't even happen for you in the movie anymore. And then the third one is when we actually meet back up. (laughs) so they just went to get the duchess out of jail basically they bring the duchess out and the duchess is like ah yes my dear when she sees alice she remembers her and is like oh so happy to see you again um essentially they start playing croquet again just essentially don't even follow through with the ask of like the cheshire cat and things like that like it's just basically forgotten about <laughs> and the duchess and alice basically become partners uh as the croquet game continues on the duchess is very like focused on like morality and like finding what the moral is of everything going on around her so basically the croquet game goes on and on but uh just as before obviously the queen is annoyed all the time and so she keeps basically sentencing everyone left and right to execution and off with his head and off with her head to the point that the game is done because literally basically everyone else is not dead but they're being held for execution execution. and so at the end of it the queen is like all right uh alice and alice like yeah and she's like do you know what a mock turtle is and alice is like no and she's like it's what mock turtle soup is made out of and she's like okay still doesn't ring a bell and the queen is like oh well come on you can learn about his history so the queen takes alice to a griffin yes the magical creature type griffin which is you know has the eagle's head and the body uh, of a lion body of a lion and things like that and the griffin is like sup and the queen is like take this little girl to the mock turtle to learn his history because she wants to know i gotta go and uh, follow up with some of the executions that i like sentenced so 
see you later basically <laughs> and the griffin is like yeah come on and so the griffin takes alice to a turtle basically and the turtle is basically just like sitting drunk at the beach <laughs> and the griffin is like she's here to learn your history and turtle is like yeah yeah for sure or, excuse me the mock turtle is like yeah yeah i'll tell it to her y'all sit down they sit down and he's like i was a real turtle once and he like pauses for so long that alice is like is that it basically because he just doesn't continue fantastic <laughs> but finally he keeps going and it's just like yeah one time i was like at college and i was being taught by tortoise he wasn't a tortoise and she's like then why'd you call him tortoise and he's like because he taught us and uh <laughs> uh they talk about all of the crazy things that they learned and it's all again wordplay it's all things that sound like the stuff that you learn but is just slightly off so seaography instead of geography and essentially he just kind of like gets distracted by talking about all the things that he learned like all of his good times at college and they start talking about the lobster quadrille which is like a dance where you like throw lobsters into the ocean and they come back and you dance with them and then you get in the ocean and they're just a bunch of crazy ass shit and they're like let's do the dance we don't have to have the lobsters we can just dance around and Alice is like okay and they do more of the, the like reciting uh, of like well-known poems or rhymes, but doing them off. So there's more of the like Alice going like, oh, I know that. And then trying to say it, but when she says it, it comes out all wrong. And she, everyone's like, yeah, that's not right at all. And she's like, no, yeah, no, it's not. Sorry, I don't, I don't know what happened. And uh then they uh, just go back to the castle. So after that happens, that was two chapters, <laughs> BTW. Uh, there is a trial in place. So Alice is like, all right, uh, what's going on? And this trial is against the knave of hearts who has up until now been like doing the queen's bidding throughout the story that we've known the queen. He's been the one kind of like meeting out all of her purposes, but now he is on trial and he's on trial uh, for uh, being accused of stealing the queen's tarts. The jury is basically all a bunch of various animals and it's essentially like all the animals that like Alice has met this whole time being in Wonderland. Uh, like Bill the Lizard is there. Um, the White Rabbit is uh, the trumpeter of the court. So like basically like the crier of it, the announcer, etc. cetera. Um, and the judge is the King of Hearts, of course. As the like trial is going on, Alice is like, oh no, because she's realizing that she's like growing bigger but just randomly she's like i haven't eaten anything i'm getting larger uh, this is not good 
the dormouse is there because like i said basically all of the animals that she and like basically everyone that she's met in wonderland at this point is at this trial and the dormouse is basically like what are you doing and Alice is like what do you mean what am i doing and the dormouse is like stop getting bigger like you have no right to be doing this you're taking up all the air and you're growing too fast and how dare you think that you could do that and I was just like I'm not fucking doing it on purpose basically <laughs> uh and also she's like everyone grows like you know I'm not in charge of when I grow everyone gets big you can't help it god damn it and uh the trial uh has witnesses getting called the hatter is one of the witnesses unfortunately um he really pisses off the king because of his like insanity yeah his the same thing that really frustrated alice with his sort of impertinence and his like not understanding of yeah exactly and his wordplay and all of that the king is very frustrated Another one of the witnesses is the Duchess's cook. Uh, And then the last chapter is Alice's evidence. So Alice is called as a witness. And she, like I said, remember, it has been growing larger and larger (laughs) this whole time. So she accidentally knocks over the jury box. Uh, with all the animals inside of it, unfortunately. And so there's a kerfuffle and the king is like, no, we can't continue until all of the animals are put back in their place. So uh, they spend a while doing that. And the king and queen then, they she's been called a witness and they're just basically like, you're too big. You know, rule 42 is all persons more than a mile high have to leave the court so you gotta fuck off basically and alice is like you guys are fucking ridiculous basically this is not a real rule and uh she just is kind of very argumentative for the very ridiculous proceedings going on the queen essentially is like you were the one who stole the tarts not the knave of hearts basically pardons the knave of his charges and uh essentially is like off with her head even though alice is like what are you like nothing about what is going on makes any sort of sense but no one is listening whatsoever so alice is essentially like fuck you guys you can't fucking touch me i'm i'm a real person and i'm getting bigger by the second and you're throwing a house of cards at me basically like they're not gonna cut my head off you're not gonna do like you're not gonna do nothing what are you gonna do what are you gonna do basically come at me bitch is is entirely alice's uh feel in this uh last section of the book and uh the cards start ganging up on her and they start swarming her and they do start overwhelming her and are like all up on her face and she's like freaking out and is like and suddenly she is being woken up by her sister uh she is actually still next to the riverbank 
And what has happened is a whole bunch of leaves have blown all across her and on top of her face. And her sister is basically like, wake the fuck up, you dumb kid. You fell asleep. And Alice is like, oh, man, I had like a fucking weird ass dream. And her sister's like, well, tell me about it. And she's like, nah, (laughs) basically, and just walks off. And that's the end of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. That's hilarious. In the Disney movie, after Alice loses at croquet, she starts arguing with the queen about how that was really unfair. Like, of course you won. Like, there's no other way. And the queen gets mad and says, off with her head and sends her away. The next scene we get is Alice on trial. Now, unlike the book, Alice is not a witness for anyone else. She is on trial herself for being argumentative with the queen right off the bat. Um, The queen starts asking her questions and Alice starts trying to answer and explain, you know, what has happened since she's been in Wonderland and all these different things. And then the Cheshire cat appears on the queen's butt and Alice is like, oh, well, that's the Cheshire cat. And the queen can't see him because the queen has a very large butt. Um, and is trying to see this cat and is like, what the fuck? No. And of course, the Dormouse is in the audience. So he freaks the fuck out and they have to get jammed. And it's a whole thing again. The queen is getting frustrated because this cat keeps stopping Alice from conversing, like from telling the story because she keeps getting distracted by the cat. And the queen never sees the cat. She just keeps seeing like just herself, right? And then these random objects keep just turning, the cat keeps turning into these random objects and then disappearing again into the cat. So Alice is like trying to explain that the Cheshire cat is here and the queen's just getting more and more upset and is like, fuck it, trial over, like off of their head. You done. (laughs) And Alice is getting super frustrated and the more frustrated Alice gets, the bigger she grows. So she grows and grows and grows just like she did before, except she hasn't eaten anything, of course. And she's now bigger than the house that she was in earlier. And she's huge and looming over all of the court and telling the queen basically like, nah, bitch, I'm not having it. Like whatever shit you're trying to pull on me, all I want to do is go home. Like, I don't want to have any of this. I don't want to deal with any of this. I'm just trying to go home. I don't care. Like, congratulations, you won. I'm not trying to die. I'm also a gajillion feet high. Like, fucking come at me. And the queen and the king are cowering in the corner because she's huge, right? (laughs) And they're like, okay, 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 okay. And as they're trying to, like, calm her down or be, you know, agree that she can go or that she's fine, Alice starts to shrink. Meanwhile, Alice is in the middle of this, like, tirade basically just like calling out the queen and everyone else in wonderland on their bullshit mm-hmm. and she shrinks down to normal size and she gets down back down to normal size and the queen's like oh well well now off I can their head like i don't give a fuck like you smoke you said all yeah. that shit it's time you're just dead now like off of their head Case closed so alice is like uh nah peace and she jumps up out of the like trial area and starts running she bolts out of the courtroom and just starts running as far and as fast as she can 
as she is running, she is being chased by the King and Queen of Hearts. She's being chased by the Mad Hatter, the March Hare. Every single character that she has met thus far in Wonderland is chasing her as she's running. And um, this turns into like very much an Alice or a Wizard of Oz type moment. Um, she's running down this like smoky, like nothing corridor and yeah. it starts to spin. And then all of a sudden it's gone. Like everyone is gone and she is, she sees her own body like on the other side of this door, basically. She sees herself asleep underneath a tree. And she's like, oh, well, I've just been asleep the whole time. I've got to wake myself up. And she starts freaking out like, wake up, wake up, wake up, Alice, wake up. And she tries to go through the door and she can't. She's like, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And the crowd is getting closer and closer and closer to her. And finally, it works, and she wakes up under the tree. When she wakes up, her tutor person, not her sister, her tutor, mom, whoever it was, asks Mm -hmm. her to recite her lessons, the poem that she was learning at the beginning. Now, she said this poem correctly, the correct, proper way, when she was reciting it to the caterpillar in this movie. But the caterpillar told her that it was wrong, and fixed her version, Alice's version, to the Wonderland version of this poem. So now her tutor has asked her to speak the correct version. And she, of course, spouts out the Wonderland version, which is about like an alligator and its golden scales or some shit like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And her tutor's just like, that's nowhere near close. Like, <laughs> damn you, Alice, for falling asleep. <laughs> For falling asleep in your lessons again. And Alice is basically like, oh, I had like the, the caterpillar said that that was right, that I that that was the right way and all these things. And the nurse or the um, tutor's just like, caterpillar, the fuck? What are you mm-hmm. talking about? <laughs> and she's like, oh, Alice, you and your imagination. And they walk away and like the end, have they go have tea. And that's the end of the fucking story. Yeah, so the Disney version cut out a couple of things that were in the regular version just for like what I would say is like to make it suitable for children because that yeah. like baby turning into a pig and the cook like as a little a little dark, a little weird, a little like this whole story is weird, but like cute animals being coming anthropomorphic is yeah. one thing creepy cook dude like and a baby that morphs into a pig is fucking weird it's so they cut that stuff out and then they they pulled some other things from uh the second story to kind of add to it um because i think i think originally disney did not want to do sequels like that was never their intention they wanted to tell as much of a complete story as they could without Mm -hmm. having to do anything else so like if i mean this was if, in 1951 too right yeah. so they they probably weren't thinking in that type of long-term yeah. sort if, of thing if disney in the 50s had done like the chronicles of narnia series like they would have all been in one it would have all been in one story and they would have gotten rid of a lot of information but they would have brought it all down into one story rather than trying to span it over multiple stories because at the time that was just not common practice like it's barely common practice now like it took what i don't even know what the first series was to really 
go for lord of the rings maybe harry potter they kind of all happened at the same time like the early 2000s was really all at that same time where people were like you know what this is a full-on book series we're gonna make it a full-on movie make series. An actual movie series. and we're gonna make yeah. each movie be about each book and then they'll tie all together and it'll make sense so disney was not thinking about that in the 50s but it was a great movie nonetheless alice's adventures in wonderland obviously um was written by lewis carroll so it was inspired fucking hell uh three minus so uh 1862 on the 4th of july lewis carroll was with um his friend the reverend robinson duckworth with three young girls uh and they were having like a day like a boating day out on the river isis and uh he essentially wrote the poem uh all in the golden afternoon which is the poem that opens the uh story the three girls essentially that were with them on this tale uh were the daughters of one of carol's great friends uh henry little the daughters were lorena charlotte little who was 13 and uh was very likely the prima of the uh poem alice pleasance little who was 10 who was probably the secunda in the poem and then edith mary little who was eight at the time and was very likely tertia in the little poem in this trip lewis carroll was essentially like entertaining the little girls with stories and it they were all stories about a bored little girl named alice and all of her adventures and the girls just loved these stories stories especially alice little so alice was like write it down for me so he did um he began writing the manuscript of what would become alice's adventures in wonderland basically the next day um it went through um, at least one very clear revision. The most earliest um, version of it is lost. Finishing touches outside of the story that he wrote that he kind of just made up for the girls were um, put on by him researching natural history, um, in particular researching like the animals that he kind of chose to be present in the book. Um, and then also he made it a point to uh, have his manuscript of the story actually vetted by real children before he ever gave it to other people to uh, who are adults to start thinking about publishing. That's amazing. So had, That's the proper way yeah. to fucking do a children's story. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he had other children read through it to see what children's responses to it would be first. Um, and then after that, then he uh, approached, started approaching people for illustrating and eventually publishing. Although he did do his own illustrations for the book. November 26th in 1864, Carol gave 
Alice Little, um, his little handwritten manuscript of Alice's adventures. It was called Alice's Adventures Underground at the time. Um, he gave it to her with his own illustrations. And it was uh, the dedication on that manuscript was a Christmas gift to a dear child in memory of a summer's day. Uh, he was at this point already preparing um, to have it published. At the time, it was uh, a little over 15,000 words. And it would then be expanded to the uh, over 27K words that it is today. There are obviously, as you've learned now, just from listening to me talk a little bit about the history so far, uh, characters that are based on people from Carol's life. Carol actually is, he represents himself in the stories. He is represented in his version as the dodo bird. He did this because um, we'll talk a little bit about this later, but he had a stutter. He sometimes referred to himself. And again, we'll talk about this more when we get there. But uh, his real name, Lewis Carroll was his pen name. It was a, a pseudonym. It wasn't his real name. But he sometimes referred to his last name uh, based on a stuttering version of it. Uh, so he referred to himself as the dodo bird in the story to kind of coincide with that. The duck in his story is actually based on um, a the Duckworths, particularly Canon Duckworth, uh, but he knew the Duckworths, they were some of his friends. The lorry and the eaglet in his story are Alice's little sisters, Alice Littles, I should say the real Alice Littles uh, sisters, Lorena and Edith. They actually pop up a few times in the story because also um, the Dormouse at the Mad Tea Party, uh, the Dormouse tells a story about three little sisters named Elsie, Lacey, and Tilly. So these are the little sisters as well. Elsie is, of course, L.C., Lorena, Charlotte, Tilly is Edith because her family nickname was actually Matilda, so Tilly, and then Lacey was Alice. It was an anagram, of course, of her name. The last kind of character illusion here that is super important is the mock turtle. When he's talking about being in college and stuff, he speaks essentially of an old conger eel. This conger eel came once a week to teach them drawing, stretching, and fainting in coils. So there was an art critic named John Ruskin who was actually the art tutor essentially of the little girls he came to teach them drawing sketching and painting in oils and that was Lewis Carroll basically playing on those words there as I mentioned there are multiple poems and songs that he they were inspired quote unquote by the originals but he made parodies of them he rewrote them essentially the one that you're thinking of when it comes to alice in wonderland especially at the end the crocodile one how doth the little crocodile so this was a parody version of the watts nursery rhyme against idleness and mischief 
You Are Old Father William in the story is actually a parody of Southie's The Old Man's Comforts and how he gained them. The Duchess, uh, when they're first met in the uh, kitchen and is yelling at the baby slash pig, she sings a lullaby, speak roughly to your little boy. And it is actually a parody of David Bates's Speak Gently. There is a part uh, in the tea party where the Dormouse sings a song called Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Bat. And it is very obviously a parody of Taylor's Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. <laughs> Lobster Quadrille, the uh, song slash dance that involve lobsters at the end with the mock turtle and the griffin is actually a parody of the spider and the fly tis the voice of a lot of the lobster which is another thing that is recited when she's with the mock turtle and the griffin it is a parody of the sluggard by isaac watts and then again the mock turtle sings a song at this in this thing he sings beautiful soup this is actually a parody of a sales song called Star of Evening, Beautiful Star. There is, of course, like I mentioned again at the beginning, so much language play in this story. It's listening to a retelling of it. It definitely, you know, is nice, but it won't give you the full effect of actually reading it because when you read it, there's just so much. It's almost, it's so carefully written by Carol that almost every word is itself up for potentially being played with in some way, shape, or form. It's just that purposeful. And the reason behind that is, we'll get into it a little later when we talk about Carol himself, um, is that Carol was a a very, very smart man. Everything that you read in the story is just kind of rife with symbolism and dual, if not multiple meanings example of this so in you know at the end when she when Alice finally gets to you know the Queen of Hearts's palace basically and she meets the the cards who are painting the roses red so this is 1865 if we remember not very long in terms of history wise you know a couple hundred years or, or so previously the war of the roses were going on um in england the red roses symbolized house of lancaster white roses actually symbolized house of york uh so this was a very very obvious kind of allusion by carol to the war of the roses and this is just a very blatant in your face kind of example of the symbolism there's just so much in there that you can unpack and analyze in particular something that people might be very kind of surprised at is there is actually a lot of mathematical um allusions and symbolism in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. So Carol was actually a mathematician. He actually embedded a whole lot of satire and kind of criticism on 
what was for his time modern mathematical like theology and philosophy that was going on in the mid 19th century. So one example again of this, this is just one example. So she is in the pool of tears, like swimming around, trying to kind of like keep herself occupied and afloat. So she starts reciting to herself what she calls her multiplication tables. And immediately, if you actually know your multiplication tables, you're like, there's something wrong here. Because what she says is, let me see, four times five is 12, four times six is 13, four times seven is, oh dear, I shall never get to 20 at that rate. If you actually know your multiplication tables, you're like, hmm, those are wrong. Those are very, very wrong. (laughs) Those are not your multiplication tables. But even though these are not your multiplication tables, these are actually references to the positional numeral systems. So this is based on different bases in math. So four times five in base 18 notation is 12. Four times six in base 21 notation is 13. Four times seven in base 24 notation is 14. What in the fuck is any of this? Yeah. So if you would continue in this like base sequence, so you're essentially going up three bases each time. If you go in that sequence, then eventually you would continue the less than 20 in that notation, which is why she's like, I'll never get to 20 at that rate because that that wouldn't happen if you were continuing with the base sequence that she was going in because four times 12, it would be 19 in base 39. And the next one up would be four times 13 and in that would be in base 42 and it would be past 20 at that point. There, it, it's high level scholarly bullshit is basically Carol was just literally like, I'm going to have fun with all of the smart shit that I do every day. And just throwing that in his child story left and right. The illustrations, um, like I said, Carol actually made a bunch of illustrations himself in the very beginning. They were eventually actually printed in the 1887 edition of uh, the publication, But the actual kind of like considered like original slash canon illustrations would probably be be John Tenniel's um, wood engraved illustrations. He provided 42 of them for the published version of the book. Um, And his illustrations are the ones that kind of endure. Uh, So the real Alice Little, which as we all know by this point, was clearly who Carol was basing Alice's character on. She actually had dark hair and like a short like fringe, but John Tenniel's illustrations gave her the kind of longer sweeping blonde hair and the cute little apron puffy sleeved uh, costume. That was what endured, even though that was very much not what Alice Little looked like, basically. 
the first publications were the 26th of November in 1865, but it was kind of held back essentially because Tenniel didn't like the quality of the print. So they made a newer edition in December of that same year. Essentially, when they first published it, it just sold out like immediately almost. It was like a sensation. And it was a sensation because the kids loved it, but also, as I'm sure you've learned by now, there were things about the stories that were clearly embedded for adults, and adults loved it too, because adults were listening to it and reading it and going, oh, I fucking see what he's doing there. That's fucking funny. It's not funny because of what the kids find funny, even though the kids find this funny, but they find it for different reasons funny. You know, he was working on so many different layers, never been out of print. Never, ever, ever have they ever not had Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll in circulation. Um, There's over a hundred editions of the book. There's countless media adaptations. The most, one of the most popular children's stories for decades. Of course, there are so many different adaptations um, and influence that has come from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Obviously, the most notable would probably be the 1951 animated version by Disney into mm -hmm. a feature film because it made it, you know, a household staple story that everyone knew. But it wasn't the only one by any stretch of the imagination, many, many more films, many, many uh, television adaptations. There were theater and theatrical performances, musicals, um, uh, in addition to just music, uh, games, specifically things that would deal with like the story's kind of plot, like playing card games and things like that were highly inspired uh, by Carol's stories. There are even comic books. Um, there were comic strips at the time. Live performances include the 1886 musical play in London's West End. Yeah, it's just very obviously a uh, legend. Let's talk just a little bit finally about Charles Ludwig Dodgson, who was Lewis Carroll. Charles Ludwig Dodgson, an English writer, uh, his literally most notable works are the Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and the sequel Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There. He was born 27th of January in 1832. His family was predominantly kind of Northern English slash Irish. He came from a long line of Charleses. So he is Charles and lots more before him were Charleses. Um, his great-grandfather, Charles, was the Bishop of Elfin in rural Ireland. His grandfather, Charles, was an army captain. He was killed in action in Ireland in 1803. His father, Charles Dodgson, went to Westminster and then Christchurch and to Coley Orders. Uh, he had a double first degree and eventually became a parson in uh, 1830. And then finally, our Charles IV, 
at this point, Ludwig Dodgson was born um, in the All Saints Vicarage at Daresbury, Cheshire, near Warrington. He was the eldest. Eight children followed him. So he was nine. And then there were two more before him. So 11 kids <laughs> in his family. He was the third child. And then eight more were born after him. <laughs> when he was 11, his father got a living in North Riding of Yorkshire. So they moved to a very spacious rectory there. And that was their home for 25 years years. When he was younger, he was educated at home. He was very, very smart. He then in 1846 went to the rugby school. Uh, He excelled here intensely. He was very gifted mathematically as well as just kind of overall. However, it is noted that he did write that potentially there could have been bullying issues going on it's not clear whether or not he himself was the direct target of the bullying or if he just noticed the bullying happening around him and it bothered him because he did end up with a reputation of being someone who kind of stood up for the those that were kind of being picked on around him we're not really sure if he was the actual direct uh, target of it or not but he really didn't like the rugby school regardless of whether or not he was directly targeted for it or not he matriculated to the university of oxford in may 1850 actually was only there for two days unfortunately when he had to be summoned back home in a break of his residency there he would eventually go back but unfortunately he was summoned home um, very early because after two days of being there his mother died Um, she was 47 years old when this happened so even though that's old um, it's still a little young but even despite that he was still very very successful he got honors and uh, several degrees in mathematics when he was in early childhood he acquired somehow whether it was natural or otherwise he began stammering Uh, this remained throughout his life as um, a stutter, essentially. So this is what I was referring to earlier. He ascribed to himself the the character, um, the characterization of the dodo because he used to call himself Dodo Dodgson. He, uh, oh God, um, began moving around in the pre-Raphaelite social circles. So if if anyone knows who the pre-Raphaelites are. This is pretty interesting. They are not of the like accepted culture of the time. They are very counterculture of this time. Now we look back on the pre-Raphaelites and they provided a lot of um, very interesting and influential and substantial pieces of art in a variety of categories. But um, the pre-Raphaelites, they're an interesting bunch. And the fact that Dodgson was hanging out with them kind of says something. He first met John Ruskin in 1856 uh, and became 
pretty good friends with him from what we know. And then around 1863, he also became very close to the Rossettis, uh, in particular Dante Gabriel, the kind of prominent uh, Rossetti of the Pre-Raphaelites. So he actually is very prominent in the Pre-Raphaelite circle. He um, takes portraits of them a lot. Uh, he knew William Holman Hunt. He knew John Everett Malaise. He knew Arthur Hughes. He knew uh, George MacDonald, who was um, a very well-known fairy tale author at the time. He wrote lots more. He actually also wrote mathematics books, and he even wrote rhetorician books, like rhetoric type of stuff. Uh, yeah, he was just a a huge academic, but he was also into photography. I mentioned him being, you know, very close to the Rossettis and uh, the Pre-Raphaelites, and he was very into photography, in particular um, portraiture, and in particular portraiture of um, kids. About 60% of his original, like, portfolio is gone to us as of now but what we do have is um it leans very heavily into portraiture of young kids in particular young girls but Gross. he also did a bunch of different stuff uh he did landscapes he did uh skeletons and dolls and you know more still life sort of pictures and dogs and statues he was also an inventor so he created shit uh, to like be able to take notes in the dark uh, called the nictograph. He also tried to create a bunch of games. Uh, he invented actually what was potentially an early version of Scrabble. <laughs> he invented a whole bunch of very popular uh, brain teaser games that are essentially what we still use today, like derived from his sort of creations and a bunch of mathematical games. And he was also very much into ciphers and cryptography. His particular like mathematic skills were just kind of beyond. He's smart as fuck. Let's just kind yeah. of leave it at that. He unfortunately, uh, died of pneumonia which followed a bout of flu on the 14th of january in 1898 he died at his sister's home just four days before henry little died the father of the three um girls who were so heavily influential in alice's adventures in wonderland as katie was kind of commenting earlier kind of a big thing that is quote unquote controversial about Lewis Carroll slash Charles Dodgson is lots of people talk about his quote unquote sexual preferences. Late 20th century biographers suggest he may have been sexually interested in kids. A pedophile. Mm-hmm. So they say this because obviously um, he was very like into writing children's books. He liked children a lot. The 11 year old Alice Little was the clear inspiration for Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And late 
biographers argue that potentially um, his work with portrait photography of children uh, and how prominent it was for him and how he loved kids so much and how eventually, even though they were very close with the Littles, they did have a break with the family before he wrote this. Um, they had a break in like 1863. Lots of scholars subscribe to this. However, let's talk about some things that I personally actually do ascribe to. And I am not one that kind of tries to erase what is kind of very obviously or even potentially something controversial like in history. I'm actually someone who often errs on the side of, oh, it's probably the worst case scenario. However, it does not necessarily mean that every artist back then was a pedophile because that's just not true. But it's least, also very hard to figure out, it's, to, to tell one way or the other. There's no absolutely. Like, you can't it's, definitively say that they were, but you also can't definitively say that they weren't. It's yes. like things we'll never know. Exactly. It's hard. And especially because everyone has always known that pedophilia, actual pedophilia is wrong. That would be something to hide. So that would be something that if that was the artist's actual sin or proclivity, yeah, you would try and hide that. But the problem is, is it just so happens that in Victorian times, this was an actual artistic trend. Like we can look back at it back then and many, many, many artists of all kind of different areas of art were engaging in that kind of stuff through what their theory was of childlike innocence. And so looking at that, looking at every single artist back in the Victorian era who even dabbled in child type stuff and saying that they're a pedophile is just not something that you can do with any degree of large definitiveness yeah you know what I'm saying yeah so this isn't to say that that is not a possibility because you know what unfortunately it could be we don't know it could be unfortunately that Lewis Carroll slash Charles Dodgson was a pedophile it could be um it could not be though and I'm not saying that to try and cover for a pedophile I'm saying that just objectively yeah just because we don't really know there are other options that it actually objectively could have been that are just as reasonable as that conclusion um and to kind of look at the Victorian era of how they were looking at artistic stuff versus how we view things now, you have to remember those different time frames, the different kind of cultural views of children and what is and isn't appropriate. It's yeah. a large shift. What we would consider appropriate now, they didn't necessarily have those kinds of qualms like we do today yeah. that we have kind of learned through evolving. So with that said, there are some other options that I would just like to bring up. You know, Dodgson never married, which is interesting because he was in his 60s at the time. I mean, people say he was a pedophile. However, 
other people who are close to him say, no, you know what? He did have lots of relationships with women, but he didn't actually talk about them. And his family actually hid it from the press for a long time because of the fact that he was a, his, his sort of persona was with children. They didn't want that to sort of like tarnish his image, especially because his family was very conservative. In fact, his father was in the church. So they- So he was like a ladies man. Okay, this is again, I'm gonna bring up, he was in the pre-Raphaelite friend circle. If you know anything about pre-Raphaelites, oh, the debauchery. (laughs) Egads, the debauchery that were the pre-Raphaelites sexuality in general much less even just kind of kinky shit versus potentially you know even gender expression type things going on if he was friends with them it is very very likely that he was probably a dude who enjoyed sexuality and i mean the minute you said that he had never married my brain immediately thought, well, he was probably gay because this honestly, is again. a lot of artists, a lot of older authors and artists were gay. And that mm-hmm. fact has just been like wiped from history because exactly because fuck People the way say, that oh, his taught. family just hid his relationships. And I'm like, yes, I'm sure they did. But because whether they, were probably they hid with them. Men whether they hid them because of the gender of the people that he was with or because of how kinky he was or because of he was often in relationships with married women that was another thing people at the same time or just like polyamory has been a thing for thousands of years yeah and it's been frowned upon for thousands of years and so these are just the myriad of other options that I would just like to put out there just to say that if you are someone who, you know, you just don't want to have to think about Lewis Carroll being a pedophile unless definitive proof pops up that he was, I'm here to tell you it's more than okay and it is more than objectively understandable to think that he could very well not be a pedophile. That could very well be a thing that is not true about him. He could have also just been gay. He could have also just been any other sexuality other than heterosexual. He could have just been a fucking ladies man who often was with fucking married women and that was just a thing even non-married that women knew. at the time at the time having absolutely having a lot of sexual partners even now having a lot of sexual partners is not necessarily being a player being a casanova so yeah that is just something that i wanted to kind of lay out there because in particular people talk a lot about like how oh he wanted alice little to be his child bride and that's why you know he you know they had that break with the family before they got close again and oh there's parts of his diary like there's this whole fucking like scholar thing where like there are there are chunks of his diary that are missing and the family and everyone involved like no one will say 
where that shit went and who fucking ripped it out and it's of that time basically so it's of the area where people would be like ah well they clearly ripped it out because he was trying to fuck a child and they're just trying to like hide it and it's like or yeah okay relationship with the mom or with the dad like but people have actually literally often said that that people that there were rumors that he could have potentially been fucking the little's mom the yeah, girl's like, mom or they had a tutor who was also a girl and people said that there were rumors about her too and she yeah. was not a child she was definitely young you know at today we would be like okay well you know 40 or 50 sir like calm down but she would have still not been a child <laughs> let's just say that yeah. <laughs> you know it's different from saying there's he a was lot of options. trying to bang a 20 year old from he was trying to bang a 10 year old yeah like there's a lot of options different fucking statements. we don't know the answers is pretty much what we're yes. getting at exactly the very last thing is you talked about like whether or not he was a on drugs when this was happening and also b you bring up alice little alice in the story being potentially schizophrenic so when he was alive he actually did have a documented history unfortunately of having migraines with auras auras are something that happen with um epileptic seizures an aura is something that messes with your natural senses um, that kind of presages an epileptic seizure. So you either suddenly smell something that is inappropriate for your environment that shouldn't be there, or you see something that is, isn't actually there or isn't actually happening. A lot of times people will see like flashing lights. So like or a sensory the, hallucination. Yes, um, like the colors around you will shift or things like that. Um, and he did actually have a, a documented history of migraines with auras. And he was potentially epileptic. We would consider that now. Um, there is not enough definitive proof to essentially diagnose him based on the documentation that we have, but it is very, very likely that he had migraines that probably coinciding with epileptic symptoms, essentially. In fact, there is a form of migraine aura that we call after him and his, uh, you know, little Alice in Wonderland story, we call it the Alice in Wonderland syndrome. We call it this because this migraine that has the aura, it manifests um, with sudden size changes. So um, this is either micropsia or macropsia. It is a brain condition that it affects your perce- your perception of your body or other objects in the area. You may look at an object and suddenly it looks much larger or much smaller than it's supposed to be, or you suddenly feel that you are much larger or much smaller than you're supposed to be. And we named it the Alice in Wonderland syndrome after him. So what we have documented is he definitely had suffered at least two 
um, potentially epileptic attacks where he loses consciousness. It was an epileptiform seizure by his doctors at the time. He may or may not have, according to an author named uh, Sadie Ranson, suffered from temporal lobe epilepsy. So you don't always lose consciousness, but you definitely have altered consciousness. Ranson says this because the symptoms of temporal lobe epilepsy in which you have altered consciousness rather than loss of consciousness, they mimic a lot of the strange irregularities like micropsia and macropsia that pop up in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland with suddenly thinking that animals are talking to you, suddenly thinking that things are bigger or smaller than they're supposed to look. Finding yourself in different environments without knowing how you got there, but not questioning them. And various sort of things that were what he essentially wrote about and the imagery that he wrote about. So it is, it is very likely I would say uh, that he potentially suffered from epilepsy in some form. In fact, he had one incident that we have documented where he suffered not only full loss of consciousness, but he awoke with a bloody nose um, and that he woke from that episode, writing in his diary that after he awoke from it, he did not feel like himself for quite some time afterward. So the whole discussion of the identity crisis that Alice goes through in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, where, you know, the words suddenly don't mean what they're supposed to mean, or they yeah. mean different things. And Sounds like a stroke. The, the rules of physics no longer apply all of those things in inspiration from yeah, an actual experience. medical condition. Yeah. That is the end of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and my notes. With okay, that, so I have, have to pick. I have a fun fact, uh, one fun fact about Lewis Carroll and then some other fun facts about the Disney movie. So Woo! while we're on the subject of Lewis Carroll, there was a book or there is a conspiracy theory that argues that Lewis Carroll or... <clears throat> sorry, Charles L. Dodgson, I guess his actual name, and his <laughs> colleague Thomas Bain are actually responsible for the Jack the Ripper murders. What? Yes. So this is because Shut of a- Shut the fuck up. Hold on. What? So, so this is because of a book called Jack the Ripper, Lighthearted Friend that was written in 1996 by a man named Richard Wallace. And in this book, Wallace proposes a theory that Lewis Carroll and his friend were responsible for all of the Jack the Ripper murders. I haven't read Evidence. this book. I haven't Evidence. read this book. I'm sure there's some in the book. I'm sure. What? I haven't Hold read on. this book. I gotta write. Listen, I need I'm you to write this book right title now. down and read it because... <laughs> I'm freaking out right now. I need a piece of paper. God damn it. What is it? It's called Jack the Ripper, Lighthearted Friend by Richard Wallace. And it's like 
people on Reddit are talking about it. Like BBC America has like a an article about it. It showed up in the IMDb facts of the Disney movie when I was searching for it. So like, what? yeah, like I was reading through the fun facts on IMDb and it's in the facts that Lewis Carroll might be Jack the Ripper. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> How? No, I am. <laughs> so I need you to read this book and just be like, I need you to just explode it for all of its fallacies I'm and things. So I'm so upset. I need information. On multiple levels. Yes. Okay. <laughs> because Alice in Wonderland is a Disney film, um, many of you may or may not know that Disney, early Disney, from the start at Snow White through probably the early 80s, liked to recycle their actors. So they had probably 20 actors or so that they cycled through and would come in and have them do multiple parts. So when you look up any voice actor for an animated character from a Disney film from that time span, you're likely to find that they voiced multiple characters um, throughout their career. They, they just kept coming back because Disney kept hiring them. They liked their voice, so they did it over and over again. Like when you go back and listen, you'll notice that like the voice of Little John from Robin Hood is the same person who voiced Baloo in the Jungle Book. Like mm. very, you know, it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Leah Salonga sang every single song by every single Disney princess for decades. Yeah, for sure. Well, only two of them, <laughs> only two princesses, but yes. <laughs> she was only two princesses, so it's okay. Listen, Leah Salonga is every Disney princess. But she's it's the she's the two canon. uh she's the two <laughs> Asian princesses to the yes. to this point basically until modern day. So Leah Salonga, she's a beast and amazing. But truly so that being said, and the the multiple the actors playing multiple parts, I'm gonna read off a list of characters from Alice in Wonderland. And the other characters that they also voiced for Disney movies. Ah, shit. So Alice is voiced by Catherine Beaumont. And she also was the voice of Wendy Darling in Peter Pan. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, fun fact about her is that Catherine Beaumont actually voiced both of them contractually with Disney until she retired from voice acting in 2005. So oh, she was a voice in all capacities. That entire time. That entire oh, time. Shit. For over 50 years, she voiced both Wendy Darling and Alice. Next is the Mad Hatter. He is voiced by Ed Wynn. And Ed Wynn was in literally tons Everything. and tons and tons and tons of Disney films. You said that. Like Wynn, a lot like, of yep, live action. That checks out. <laughs> a lot of live action um disney films but what i remember him most for besides voicing the mad hatter is he is uncle albert from mary poppins the guy who has the uncontrollable laughing fits on the ceiling that is edwin the voice of the mad hatter uh next would be the cheshire cat the cheshire cat is voiced by one sterling holloway who is a disney legend of course many of these people are disney legends at this point um but he is a Disney legend for voicing uh, a little character you might recognize as Winnie the Pooh uh, and another yes. character 
who is Ka the snake from Robin Hood or from Jungle Book, I mean. Now, since Sterling Holloway's passing, that has since been taken, all of his voice roles with Disney have been taken over by uh, Jim Cummings. Jim Cummings is now the go. voice who, who also does Pooh and is Ka and all Any of the relation other, like, to Alan Cummings? No. Okay. Yeah, they should be related, say. but they're not. Strange. I've looked it up many times. <laughs> okay. Um, next is the Queen of Hearts. Um, she is played by a woman named Verna Felton. And you might not recognize the name Verna Felton, but you will recognize her voice when I say it. She is the voice of Queen Leia and Flora, the little pixie from yeah. Sleeping Beauty. And also the yes. fairy godmother from Cinderella. And also Mrs. Hathaye, the female elephant from the Jungle Book. Now, oh, yeah. Okay. The voice of the walrus in Alice in Wonderland is played by J. Pat O'Malley, who voiced Colonel Hathai from the Jungle Book, and Jasper mm-hmm. from 101 Dalmatians. Um, the okay. white that also tracks. Yeah, same the, time. The white rabbit is voiced by a man named Bill Thompson, and he also voiced Jock from Lady and the Tramp, King Hubert from Sleeping Beauty. And Mr. Smee from Peter Pan. This is a very distinct voice. When, okay. you, when you start watching Alice in Wonderland and you just close your eyes, you'll be able oh, to pick yeah. out like a bunch of different characters. Like this, that's not in Alice in Wonderland. Now that you say it, I can hear the white rabbit and it sounds exactly like Smee. Mm-hmm. Yes. In the credits for Alice in Wonderland, I wasn't sure who the person was that was tutoring her because they never actually meant give her a name in the movie. Uh, they never say her name. Yeah. They never like converse with her at all. Alice never converses with her, but it is her sister, just like in the mm-hmm. book. And Alice's sister is voiced by a woman named Helen Angel. And she actually does the voice of Mrs. Darling in Peter Pan. So both the sisters, nice. Alice and the white rabbit all came back together for Peter Pan, which happened two years later in 1953. Now, yeah, I was going to say very close. A couple more fun facts that have to do with Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland. So Catherine Beaumont did, was the voice of both Wendy and Alice. She also provided what we would consider now motion capture, what, what was the early days of motion capture for both Alice and Wendy. Basically, she dressed up in the character's outfit and would be on this soundstage with the props or whatever that she was going to be using in this, that the character was going to be using in the scene. And she would act it out similar to a play while she was speaking the words that she's meant to say. And the animators filmed it so that they could rewatch the tapes and then draw her mouth shape moving in the right thing and her hand movements and all of that. So Disney has been doing that mocap thing for like 57, no, Jesus, 70 years at this point, at least. That's I know they did legit. it all the way back in the beginning from Snow White. So it's been 80 plus years. They've been doing some type of motion capture where they record videos of actual real life people or animals or whatever to go back and draw their characters. So she provided, Catherine Beaumont was that for both Wendy and Alice. Catherine Beaumont actually narrates the Alice in Wonderland ride at Disneyland because she's the forever voice 
of Alice. Right. The song, there's a song at the very beginning, like I was describing, um, it's called In a World of My Own, where Alice is describing what she would do in, if she could have a world that was exactly like she wanted it to. So she's basically describing what Wonderland will be um, as a kind of foreshadowing. So that song originally was not going to be the opening song. That was a brand new song that was added kind of towards the end of production. And originally it was going to be a song called Beyond a Laughing Sky or would later become Second Star to the Right for Peter Pan. Makes sense. So Beyond a Laughing Sky was the melody that is the song Second Star to the Right. Yes, that. But it had words that related to Alice like leaving the regular world and going to Wonderland. That makes a lot of sense. If you think of the sound of the golden afternoon yeah. and the second star to the right. Yeah, they're very similar. Very so similarly. when when they finished or had done like the pre-tracking stuff for Beyond a Laughing Sky and they listened to it, they kind of came to the conclusion that it was a little too similar to um over the somewhere over the rainbow and really yes similar both of those songs so no beyond a laughing sky like the so take the word the words from beyond a laughing sky that were meant for alice in wonderland and the song second star to the right combined it just the way that it worked it made it feel very wizard of oz and they didn't feel like it fit so they changed it to the in a world of my own they made it better and then they scrapped beyond a laughing sky and dug it up like a couple of years later and changed it to second star on the right changed all the words kept the melody but changed all the words so it fit for peter pan and Catherine beaumont i was watching like an interview thing with her and she was very excited that they changed it because she was like I can sing, but I am not Judy Garland. Like, this is not. <laughs> she was like, what? I was very happy that they changed. I know my limits, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I was only a kid at the time, but I knew I was not Judy Garland. Like, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, there was also another song that was supposed to end up in this movie. They were going to do a song called uh, Lobster Quadrille, which Sam kind of mentioned as being part of the book. Indeed. Um, so they were going to have a song called that, but they scrapped it. And when Peter Pan, when it came time to write Peter Pan, they pulled that, that song out and were like, oh, let's change this and this and this. And it became a song, Never Smile at a Crocodile. Oh my gosh, that's great. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's so funny too, because of the whole crocodile thing, um, dealing with one of the other poems that they, that Carol satires in yeah. the story that's so funny interesting okay so when this movie was made the disney movie was made or was in production they wrote over 30 songs for the soundtrack which is why a bunch of them ended up later being in peter pan right um but this ended up becoming and still to this day holds the record for the most songs in a Disney film and the most characters because there's an insane amount of characters in this film and it has 14 individual songs like not just 
reprise after reprise of like the right. main four songs. This is like 14 individual, completely different from each other yeah. songs. <laughs> it's insane. And they're not long songs. Like if you go back and watch it, they're not but incredibly that's a long. a lot of songs. But it's a lot of in fucking songs. In addition to scenes that don't have any songs in them, but are just dialogue. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, my last fun fact for this film is that the concept art for Alice in Wonderland was made by Mary Blair. Um, and if you are a huge Disney fan, you recognize the name Mary Blair. She basically is credited with bringing modernism to the Disney company. Um, she is basically responsible for It's a Small World and all of the art concepts that led to it's a small world. She's huge. Mary Blair is like a huge Disney legend and the it's best. amazing. The so, best. Yes. The best. Oh my God. I literally, literally malfunctioned right now. That's how happy a small town, a small world makes me. I fucking love that ride. It's because it's it was idyllic. the ride when I was a kid that I was just like, again, again again mm -hmm. again yep. <laughs> like... i remember oh my god it's even better now I yeah so that's all my fun right facts now. i mean i could talk about disneyland for hours and hours and hours but i don't for need sure. to do that so You're right this is not a disneyland podcast <laughs> unfortunately yeah no <laughs> <laughs> so seven words synopses we gotta i would assume produce two for this episode since we're essentially doing the same story minus i mean we could just do one details. because there's not there's not the differences between the two are not so extreme i'm okay with only doing one i did not write one though so give me a minute oh that's fine because i have two oh, but perfect. they're but they're real quick so <laughs> okay you gotta <laughs> you gotta pick up that slack yeah so my first seven word synopsis is wise a raven like a writing desk nice seven words my second one is we are all bad here my darling very nice actual quotes i like that okay um disney takes alice on punny acid trip yes I love that you were very practical with it. You were like, I'm just going to get this shit down. <laughs> I mean, and honestly, you could switch it for a book to just say Carol takes Alice on punny acid oh, trip. Because truly, exactly. It is multifunctional. It is perfect. It suits all of the functions that we need it to suit. Yes. <laughs> beautiful okay so uh that has been alice in wonderland slash alice's adventures in wonderland by lewis carroll slash You're disney welcome. uh thank you so much for listening uh we want to give Woo! a huge shout out to susan dorta for our cover art thank susan, you susan, susan um, if you want to check out her work dorta. you can check her out at susandorta.com s-u-s-a-n-d-o-r-t-a.com um oh! If you want to yell at us because you think we missed something big or you want to suggest wrong, some shit that we got to cover, you want to suggest some stuff, or you have some sort of insight as to why Lewis Carroll might be Jack the Ripper, 
like let us know hit us up on the socials we've there got we a go. twitter at allentown pod we have an email address at allentownpresents at gmail.com and you can hit Ooh. us up on facebook at allentown presents if you are listening to us on a podcast listening god damn it what is the name of that platform there we go there that go. was the word i was looking for platform if you are listening to us on a podcast listening platform that lets you review and rate you should definitely leave us a review and give us a rating it helps us uh deal with the algorithms and the computer uh demons slash angels slash random spirits that uh govern how those algorithms work and what podcasts are uh, promoted and suggested etc 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 yes we need the crowleys of the internet to like fix our shit so that we pop up <laughs> we hope you will keep listening to real lit that was fantastic i loved it you're welcome all right thank you so much for listening guys bye bye